Good evening and welcome to El Los of Fumar Takes. This is our 219th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This going to be a fantastic show, a wonderful show. We're going to reminisce on the greatest event in the premium cigar industry in just a few minutes with my guest of honor. I'm so proud to bring in this first-time guest tonight, but before we get to formal introductions of our guest of honor, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible, and that, of course, is tonight's sponsors, and tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has done it again. They're bringing back the Pope of Greenwich Village. It is now available at Smoke Inn, the famed microblend series that kicked off the famed microblend series in two in in just a few years ago they actually in 2015 they released this blend it's uh named after one of jonathan drew's favorite films um and it became quickly one of the cult classics in the drew estate family they brought it back in 2021 and have brought it back for 2022 a collection of rare small batch cigars the micro blend series is a collaboration between some of the premium cigar industry's top companies and smoke inns owner abe Dababna. the pope of greenwich village which is named in honor of the film, like I told you, debuted in 15, and it is the 10th microblend series. Smoke Inn and Drew Estate resurrected it last year and are bringing it back once again for 2022. Now, a small selection of, of bundles have only been created, so you definitely want to check out Smoke Inn. Make sure they haven't sold out and get your Pope of Greenwich Village 2022 today from Drew Estate. And welcome, everybody. This is our 219 take. As I had mentioned before, it is my honor, my privilege to welcome tonight's guest, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united, the president of the board of directors for the Premium Cigar Association, Mr. Greg Zimmerman. Greg, how are we doing tonight, sir? Good, Bear. Thanks for having me, buddy. Pleasure oh, to be here. It's it's absolutely my pleasure, Greg. Thank you so much for making some time on a Sunday evening for us. Uh, Really good to have you. Um, I'm really excited. To, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Is this is this your first? Is this your first podcast? Oh no, no, I've done uh, quite a few of them. I mean, we've done some with PCA. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen those. A lot, of, a lot of stuff. A lot of that stuff kind of is uh, legal or legislative updates and some kind of best practice stuff. But I've done uh, Fuente Marifel, uh show a couple times. That's, that's right. Yeah, I've seen you on yeah. there. Good stuff. Yeah, that was uh, that was nice. But 219 shows, that's that's pretty amazing. Yes. I, I didn't really re- realize that it was that many. I'd- yeah, it's been it's been uh, it's been going. This will this November will be uh will I'll be celebrating my fifth year and my fifth yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great, it's flown by. It's really nuts. Yeah. It's kind of we were kind of talking about how long you've been in the industry before the show started. I was like, I, you know, it's just one of those things that yeah, like, oh, it's another year. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> before you before you know it, you know, it's uh it just kind of it kind of gets away from you, and sometimes, but it's been really enjoyable. I get to have some great conversations, uh, and I'm looking forward to tonight's one as well. So, um, you know, I was reading in the uh, the opening uh, ad about how the Pope of Greenwich Village is one of you know Jonathan Drew's favorite films and stuff, and so it kind of got me thinking. Um, this is something I don't even ask too much, but I, I love film. I mean, I, I really do. I really enjoy it and everything. So I never ask my guests too often about like what their favorite movie is and everything, but. Like what's instead of what's your favorite movie? Like what's your favorite genre? Like what do you go to? Like when you want to watch a film? Hmm. I'd say um, suspense drama. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, historical, uh, like historical fiction, suspense. Or I like, like his- a, yeah, a lot of a lot of historical stuff. I like. Um, uh, since you did bring it up, the movie. I, 
for me is the Godfather. So, oh I, yes, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen that. Like sometimes I'll put it on late at night, and my wife will say, "How many times have you you watched this movie?" And I said, "It's it's like a pacifier, you know." When I turn that on, it's just, uh, you know, I know what's coming. I don't have to to be engaged. You know, I can pick it up at any part of the movie. So I, I've seen it quite a few times. That, that's probably my all time favorite, though. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a solid, re, it's a solid rewatch. Well, we celebrate, it's the 50th anniversary of it. And so we, that's right. Yeah. We yeah. celebrated earlier this year on, on this show, had Fred Ruri on, um, and then had, uh, Sam Spencer who, uh, used to work for McAuliffe cigars. And we, uh, we've done it. We do it about four times a year. Uh, just movie episodes where we just, we, we smoke some cigars. It's just like three, three or four guys just getting together to talk about a film and I've, something that I've always enjoyed. Uh, so I, I get to do it, you know, it's my show. I can do what I want, but it's, I get yeah, to yeah. do it with cigar guys. And yeah, this was, it was really special because uh, the 50th anniversary of, of that movie is, it's, it's just phenomenal. Who's your favorite character? We had this discussion on that show. Who's your favorite character? Uh, De Niro's character. Oh, so when the Godfather 2? Godfather 2, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. He, I mean, they all did a solid job. James Caan, um, you know, obviously Marlon Brando. So yeah, they, they were all, that was, that was a good cast. Yeah. I, I really like the Godfather. I, I say this all the time that like the, like a Godfather will always be the first one will always be my favorite. It'll always be the one I watched the most yep. uh, and everything, but Godfather two is the better movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and De Niro, De Niro is spectacular. Yeah. It was like, did you know he only like four words of English? Four words of English. Really? Yeah. Or four sentences. It's either four sentences or four words. But the key is he didn't speak Italian before he started the film. No, that's right. He didn't. Yeah. And his uh, pronunciation was pretty good. So they, they trained him well. Yeah. Yeah. Different, um, different breed of actors back then, I think. So just truly, truly Robert incredible. Duvall. I mean, yeah. oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Robert Duvall. Always have been. I think he, he um, I think he's a lot more versatile than people give him credit for. Because like, I think like, like if you take a character, like uh, an actor like Gene Hackman, who's certainly played good guys and bad guys over the time, but he's, he's, and he's a very talented actor. I don't want to take anything away from Gene Hackman. I love Gene Hackman, but like he pretty much almost plays the same guy. Whether yeah. he's good or bad, he plays like the same guy, and he's also very this very timeless person. Robert Duvall's like that too. Yeah. Uh, Robert Duvall's you know been fifty years old since he was twenty eight, and he'll always be like fifty years old. And Gene Hackman's <laughs> the same; he'll like always be fifty. Yeah. Um, um. But, but I think Robert Duvall over the years has been a lot more versatile than like Gene Hackman has been. For instance, I mean, yeah. he plays Tom Hagen, and then he plays Harry Hogg in Days of Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so just um just a lot of a lot of versatility there which is pretty pretty strange but that's awesome um so what, what are you uh what are you smoking tonight greg uh actually i uh pulled out my uh bag of samples and i'm gonna uh light up uh olmec oh so nice uh from foundation from foundation from uh rick Mello. So uh, I haven't had a chance to try it, but I have a few samples. I thought tonight would be a perfect night to try it. Sounds good. Is it the uh, the natural or the Maduro? Which one are you going? This with? is the natural. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. 
Well, Greg, it's become it's become tradition on my show to uh, for y'all to uh, for my guests to pick my cigar for me. So it would honor me if you pick my cigar for you. I got some choices for you, okay. um, and uh, don't worry, they're all PCA trade show uh, members and PCA <laughs> members and also uh, attendees. So you don't have to don't have to feel worried about it. But I've got the um, this is a cigar I smoked for the first time yesterday. But I buzzed it out just in, uh, and if you pick it, that's fine. Um, I, I mean, I picked for a reason. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. it was the Terra Nova. Uh, from uh, Arnold Andre, which is distributed by United Cigar. Yep. Um, I have a Mil Diaz Edición Limitada 2021 from Crown Heads. That's and a great cigar. I also have a Sin Compromiso Intrepido uh, from Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. You so, got three great choices there. So I will smoke whichever one you would like me to, sir. And Let's um since you had that one yesterday, why don't we go with the Mil Diaz? You got it, sir. I think uh, I think that's a fantastic cigar. So uh I didn't want to I didn't want this to sway your decision. I actually have not had this, I haven't had the Edition Limitada 2021. I've had hmm. Mil Diaz before, I've not had this this one yet. So this will be my first time trying it. Uh but I'm I'm anxious to. I've heard a lot of good things a lot of, about about this blend, so but uh, um, what uh, what cut do you prefer on your cigar? Straight cut, B cut? Straight, straight cut. Yeah. Always. Me too. And uh, I use just drop. I use a pocket knife uh, usually for all my cuts. I have a thousand cutters sitting at home, but I end I end up using my pocket knife all the time. <laughs> I feel I get more control with it. Yeah, I mean, especially like, especially, I mean, so, I mean, some, some of the, I mean, as a proprietor yourself, I know you've had, you like you said, you probably got a thousand cutters and some of them are probably old. Some of them have probably dulled over time. Some of them are probably like, you know, cheap swag <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the, the precision <laughs> of a pocket knife is probably better. Um, I'm, I've really been, speaking of swag, this isn't cheap swag. I don't know what, whose brand, I what brand of cutter this is, but this was handed to me by Justin Andrews uh, in my first trade show in 2018. And I've had it since, and it's still phenomenal. And I have no so, idea who makes it. Yeah, that's an, unf that's an unfamiliar shape. That's Yeah. Yeah, I don't recognize that. Yeah. I mean, the brand is faded off. I think it was a Cohiba one, I'm not huh. sure. But yeah, it was, I've had it for, for all that time, and, and it's, it's great. I love it. Um, it works it still does um but i'd like this up here um do you like to retro hair your retro hail your cigars quite a bit or yeah i usually do it uh once right at the beginning and then i might do it once toward the middle i usually don't do it near the end but I just did it there, and it almost uh, made me cough, look like an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I heard your reaction uh, after I saw it, so I was like, I didn't know if uh, uh, if if it. Had... I love those cigars. Yeah, just that really... a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I just did a second one. That one yeah. went off flawlessly. Yeah. I love uh, cigars. For me, tend to uh, like the middle tends to like the middle third tends to be like the best part of most cigars. You know. Um, the sweet spot, yeah. But I, I love when uh, I love when like you first light up a cigar and you like, and it just it just hits good. 
it doesn't mean it's going to be a great cigar. Some cigars fall off the <laughs> fall off uh, pretty quickly and stuff, but um, sometimes. But man, when it hit it, that first hit, when it's really good, it's like oh, it's it's like a welcoming an old friend back. Yeah, for a long trip. Sometimes it's really it's one of the things I love about cigars. It's really enjoyable. But someone asked me one time, uh, like if there's a cigar that you've never tried before, you know how how can you tell that it's going to be a good cigar? And it, like, if I do a cold draw, I'll smell the end usually before I light, light it. I'll smell the foot, mm-hmm. kind of smell the wrapper and I'll do a cold draw. And if I get the sensation of like a, a, a horse barn. Yeah. To me, it usually signifies it's going to be a good cigar. I don't know what the association is with, with that. But for me, like, I, I just know that this is going to hit my palate. Um, I love there's a it's it's really this weird kind of sensation too like when i do a cold draw or i if i smell the foot um this only happens with and it's not a bad thing at all because he makes fine cigars and i love a lot of his cigars uh but it's one of the telltale signs of when i'm smoking something made by papine mm-hmm. so it's either the tatuaje or a my father cigar if i smell the foot i either sneeze or have a very strong sensation too yeah and i don't know what it is in it about his blending stuff or what but it's only papine cigars and it's <laughs> it's it's crazy uh and I, I remember we were doing a blind cigar like guessing game at at, uh, at michael's um and uh a, someone gave to me uh a cigar and so i, I smelled the foot and i, I immediately sneezed <laughs> i knew right there i was like i narrowed it down i was like okay all right now i just have to smoke this and see what see what it is right. i've right. got it narrow, i've got it narrowed down pretty good um i don't know what it is i don't it's it's and it's but it's it's just his i've i found out like huh. through, through the years i know it's kind of weird um, i'll have to pay attention because that that's happened to me before you know just smelling the foot and i'll sneeze once in a while but i, I really never paid attention to if it was brand specific or it, it really is with me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I honestly don't know. I, I, if it's, I don't know. It's crazy though. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things too, I noticed like, um, so I was kind of like going and doing, we were talking about movies a second ago and we mentioned like Robert Duvall and stuff like that. Um, you've mentioned, you've met quite a few celebrities over the years because of like, I guess because of this industry and stuff is, is kind of afforded you to, but like, uh, you know, I, I saw pictures of you and Rudy Giuliani, you and Rush Limbaugh, uh, Ray Lewis. It's mm-hmm. ironic that they were all ours. Um, was there, was there anyone that you were just, was there any like a celebrity that you've met where you were just, and enamored probably not the the word I'm going for, but you were, it, it was just like, you were genuinely excited. Like you felt kind of like that, that young kid meeting their, meeting their, uh, their favorite celebrity or something like that. Just genuinely excited too. Yeah, there was, there was once, but it was not in a cigar related context. Um, I was at a U.S. open in Pittsburgh in Oakmont and it was the year that Dustin Johnson won the U S open. So I was standing on the tee box at number four. And this woman walked up beside me and I remember the course being very muddy. And I, I happened to look at her shoes and I noticed that they were very expensive shoes. And I thought, 
you know, what, what lady would wear expensive shoes on a golf course like that? And they were all muddy. And, and so I kind of looked up and it was uh, Janet Jones. So it was um, Dustin Johnson's now mother-in-law who was married to Wayne Gretzky. Right. And um, I just said, hello. And I heard somebody over my shoulder talking to her and I turned around and it was Wayne Gretzky. And I mean, he was literally, Oh, wow. Right on my shoulder. And I turned around and I was just like dumbfounded, you know, cause I, I'm a hockey fan and uh, you know, obviously one of the greatest players to ever lace him up. And, uh, but, uh, and he is a cigar guy. He does like right. cigars. Obviously he's, he's been on the cover and his wife's been on the cover. Um, so, but yeah, this, uh, this industry being involved in, in the level that, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with, you know, at the, the board level and uh, going to DC, it's people that I would have never had the opportunity to meet. Right. Uh, you know, Marcus Luttrell, uh, we had him at. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, that's right. He was a keynote. Trade right? show to speak. Yeah, he was a keynote right. one year. So I, I got to talk to him. That was pretty impressive, you know, with uh, his story. Um, obviously, every any politician pretty much that you can name uh, recently from Schumer to Boehner to Mitch McConnell, uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, even president Trump. I was fortunate enough to meet him last a uh, couple weeks ago uh, when he wow. was in Vegas. So oh, uh, interesting. That was pretty neat. Yeah. Was that just happenstance or like, was that? Yeah. The uh, little, I got, I, I a little bit of the backstory. There's a uh, gen- the current attorney general in uh, Nevada is a gentleman by the name of Adam Lexalt, and his father was Paul Lexalt. And if you remember, he was a senator uh, from Nevada, so he's okay. now running for U.S. Senate. So President Trump was in Las Vegas to uh, stump for him, and they were across the street at, at TI. Um, there's a uh, his chief of staff and a gentleman that we work with in D.C. that worked in the Trump administration who happened to be at the trade show kind of hooked up. And they were like, hey, the big cigar show is going over here. And Adam Lexalt likes cigars. He, he's uh, he doesn't drink uh, kind of like Trump uh, in that aspect. And he uh, he, he favors uh, Rocky Patel cigars. Is there any chance that uh you know, the president of the association and uh, Rocky could come over and meet uh, Adam Lexalt. And in, in turn, you know, we'll introduce you to the president. So uh, Rocky and I hustled off the trade show floor one afternoon and, and hustled over to uh, Treasure Island and um, mm-hmm. sat there and listened to the stump speeches. And there, Tom Holman, former ICE director, was there and uh, uh, the chief of corrections for the state of Nevada spoke. And obviously Donald Trump spoke and then afterwards we got to go in a back room and get a quick picture and quick, uh, a quick, uh, hello with the president. And it was, uh, crazy opportunity kind of, cigars, kind of funny story. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I mean, Rocky did touch on the cigar part, but, uh, when we walked back and I reached out and I shook president Trump's hand, I said, president Trump says it's a pleasure to meet you. President Zimmerman. And he kind of looked at me sideways and he goes, what are you the president of? And I said, <laughs> the premium cigar association. So he got a, he got a laugh out of that, but uh, so that was very unique, but yes, but to your point, there's, 
I mean, so many sports stars over the years, uh, you know, I've gone to a night to remember uh, up in New York City, uh, where that big fundraiser that Michael Milken and uh, Rudy Giuliani and uh, Marvin Schenken used to host mm-hmm. uh, for prostate cancer. Right. So we got to meet quite a few celebrities there. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of cool being being in this industry and seeing the people that love our product and get and are passionate about it. Some infamous auctions for charity at that event. Oh yeah. Cool stuff, cool stuff for uh, cigar stuff being auctioned off and yep. for just abnor- absorbing in prices all for a good cause, of course. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I saw a box of Rocky Patel cigars that, you know, you could buy at your, one of your stores for maybe like 250, 300 bucks went for like something like five grand or something but again all for a great cause so that's awesome yeah if you have if we have time i got got a little funny story about one of those nights Um, oh go ahead yeah i mean we're on topic yeah go ahead yes so so we uh i was sitting at rocky's table and um gary sheffield the yankees player obviously one, one of the greatest yankee players he was sitting at our table a few other retailers um I think it was Jimmy John Latude, which is a famous restaurateur, was also at our table. And um, this happened to be my first time at a night to remember. And in fact, I was Rocky's guest. And, um, and I got to meet Michael Milken out front. Like I, we were standing at the bar at the Four Seasons and uh, I went up to get a scotch and, you know, I wanted to, you know, kind of be considerate and not be too crazy. So I asked for a Balvini 12 and Michael Milken walks up and stands next to me and he orders a uh, McAllen 25. And I was like, and I looked over, I said, Mr. Milken, I said, are we allowed to order McAllen 25? Because you can order anything you want, son. And I said, <laughs> take the Balvini. I'll take a, I'll take a McAllen 25. But uh, <laughs> so when we get to the table, uh, you know, I kind of was familiar with the way this thing goes off. Uh, Marvin used to donate three bottles of wine from his personal collection. They would put it in a brown paper bag and then they would auction it off. And um, so I said to Rocky in the table, I said, why don't we all go in together and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, go for one of these bottles. And Rocky kind of chuckled. He goes, this is your first time here. He goes, you may want to see one go off first. So the first bottle of wine goes 65 grand to Rush Limbaugh. And he was sitting at the table next to us. And uh, I looked at Rocky and I stood up. I said, look, I said, there was 10 of us at the table. I said, I'll throw 2,500 in, but that's all (laughs) the higher I'm going on this thing. And he goes, go ahead. You can, you can bid on the second bottle. He goes, we'll bid it as a table. So we start bidding. And of course it it immediately goes over, you know, the 25,000 that we would all have to pitch in. And I said, I'm out guys, Rocky and Gary and the, the restaurant guy were like, just go ahead, keep bidding, keep bidding. So that was that bottle that you probably heard that they went up again for 65 grand, 70 grand. I can't remember the numbers anymore. Rocky gives it. Well, first, the first guy, no, no, we want it first. He gives it back. Marvin uh, auctions it again. Another guy from another table gets it. Same kind of price range. He gives it back. They, they go a third time. We start bidding it a third time and then we won the bottle of wine it was it happened to be a 2005 chateau margot the magnum oh wow so it was a really good bottle of wine so we brought it over obviously opened it up and uh 
some guy came over a couple minutes after you know we the bidding was all done and introduced himself he was a president of NetJets and wanted to know what my flying needs were <laughs> I said no you got the wrong guy I said I was just uh, the the guy bidding I have nothing to do with that I said that's rocking Gary Sheffield <laughs> So. Oh man, that's funny. I uh, I had the opportunity to, as a young as a youngster. I, I watched Gary Sheffield play minor league baseball. I lived. I grew up in El Paso. He played for the Diablos Double A um, when he was coming up through the Brewers organization. Mm. So I got to see him play. So he's always been one of my favorites uh, until he became a Yankee. Because uh, I'm not. A, I'm, a, I'm a Red Sox <laughs> fan. So that. Oh yeah. That that yeah. that that, uh, that ended that one for a while. But now he's retired, so I can like him again. So it's fine. Um, Plus he's a cigar guy. So how can I, how can I hate him too much? But uh, that'll, uh, that's a great story, Gary. Thanks for, uh, Greg said, thanks for sharing that with us, Greg. Um, That'll take us into tonight's uh, major point, which is always brought to you by uh, the people. Yes. Cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, Maybe it is. But behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has always and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Greg, we've had a great little chat so far and everything, but, uh, you know, tonight we kind of wanted to, I wanted to take a, a look at a lot of things and, and, and the hope is not to keep you too late, but I, there's a lot of things I want to chat with you about. First of all, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the, your story and, and we could certainly get into how you came into the cigar industry, but let's fast forward a little bit and we'll come back to that. Sure. How does one get on? How does one decide that uh, once they've been in this business for a while that, you know what, I'm. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to be president of the premium, <laughs> the board of directors for the premium cigar association. Well, that was uh, certainly not my goal or intended goal back when uh, I was first asked to be on the board. Uh, I was always fairly politically active here in Pennsylvania. I have a lot of relatives that are in politics. So I've worked campaigns. Um, and when I got into the cigar business back in the early nineties. Um, I realized to recognize that uh, there really wasn't anyone here in PA that uh, kind of had a voice in our industry. So I went and I uh, registered as a lobbyist because I thought that that was the proper thing to do or what you had to do. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't I obviously not a trained lobbyist, but I thought, you know, I would have more credence or more, gravitas going in and trying to get meetings so i registered as a lobbyist so i was politically active and some of the other board members at the time uh this was rated s chip 2008 uh were involved uh jeff borshowitz um gary pesh i think at the time was the president um they recognized that i was being very active in my state i was the uh, head of the pennsylvania uh Premium Cigar Retail Association. So they recognized that, uh, you know, I'm not afraid to get, uh, you know, get my hands dirty. So they asked me if I wanted to serve on the board. Um, So that's a three-year stint. And then at the end of that three years, if there's an opening on the executive committee, um, then you can self-nominate yourself. You have to stand up to the full board and then explain why you would be the best choice. And uh, I think at that time it was uh, 
Rob Roth, Abe Devabna, and myself all kind of self-nominated to, to take that next step. And we spoke uh, to the board and uh, I was the one fortunate or unfortunate to, uh, uh, to be chosen. And then I started that uh, 12 year process of going through all the executive positions. So you, you started out, it used to be, you started out two years as a secretary, two years as a treasurer, two years as a second vice president, two years, first vice president, two years, president and then two years ex officio and then if you did your three years before that that all adds up to 15 years oh, wow. uh, the process has changed now because um, you know we as a board felt that um, there were people out there that didn't feel that the board was very transparent and it was kind of a good old boys inner loop type thing that were kind of you know, you were picking friends to join the board and it really wasn't that, but it kind of really seemed that way. Um, the, I think with people and it's really their perception and obviously perception to someone is going to be their reality, but um, a lot of people, we, we recognize that they were very active in their States and they were, so those, those were the people that we thought would sit well. So we would actually go out and try and recruit people to come onto the board in the past. Now it's, it's all a complete self-nomination process. Uh, yeah. As you probably recognize this last uh, two election cycles, everyone was uh, self-nominated. They, they put their name in the hat and then we put it out to the general membership and the membership voted on them. Mm-hmm. Now we did a, a kind of a slight variation of that with the manufacturing uh, component coming on we expanded our board from um, 14 member or when we had 15 members and then now we've added how come that number doesn't add up right we've added five manufacturing partners mm -hmm. so we appointed alan rubin uh, christian aurora mm -hmm. and um, mike condor who have all been very active on our board were members of the AMAB, which was the associate member board. Uh, that was the advisory board from the associate side. They had their own board. There was nine that sat on that board. So they were, these three guys had been very active and, and, and there was no ramp up speed that we needed to get them kind of on board. They, they knew the issues. So those three were kind of appointed. And then Michael Herklox and um, uh, Jared Trudeau were just, mm -hmm they self-nominated themselves to fulfill that, uh, that five seat, five manufacturing seats on the board. And they were elected by the, uh, the retail. I was really pleased with the nominees uh, specifically for those last two spots. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Michael and, and Jared ultimately getting it, but the other ones that were up for that, those two spots too, were also really good. So, I mean, it was very good. Yeah. It was, it was, it was great to see, uh, it was great to see, you know, really great individuals uh, kind of stand up and, and, and nominate themselves. And then, it, um, and you knew you weren't, you no, know, however it kind of ended up being, you knew you weren't going to end up in a bad position of any, of any kind to that. I mean, that probably would have been really, really awkward <laughs> if there had been like yeah. uh, an outlier of the nominees, but I really feel like there weren't. And I'm not blowing smoke by any capacity. I was really impressed by all those individuals, including there was, there's one that, um, not too many people know, and, and um, this is going to be terrible because now the name escapes me, but it was from Marengo uh, Cigar Company. I can't remember. Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
PCA member for a very, very long time, yeah. trade show uh, attendee and, and vendor for a very long time. And um, I, if, if, if he had gotten it, I would have been really pleased just because his perspective is so much different than some of these others, the uh, individuals that were up for nomination and everything. So I, I thought he would have been really great as well. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with uh, how it worked out. And everything, but um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I will say this, you know, in the spirit of what you were talking about, uh, Greg, you know, about about transparency. I think the uh, I will say that I think the the PCA has been um, in the last two years specifically, and I know this, you know, is a great compliment to you, but also your predecessor, um, John Anderson. I think the board has gotten and and Scott Pierce, of course, executive director. Mm -hmm. The the PCA has become. Uh, incredibly transparent on a lot of things where they weren't in the past. And, and I think this really has helped that perception that you were talking about because, um, I, you know, I heard a lot of people and, and, and myself even had some opinions about it too. Um, uh, not to a great extent, but as the, the good old boy network, as you put it, but there were a lot of people that felt that way. And I think mm. you guys have put that, that reputation to rest for the time being, uh, with with how transparent you guys have been and and the opening up of of, of spots, bringing manufacturers onto the board, I think was probably the best decision that you guys have made as a group, um, hands down. And at least the ha last de last half decade, I would think that's yeah. I think that's going to be great for the organization. Um, how did that come to pass? Like, what was the was there? I mean, was there was there a an intense debate about it or was it kind of like hey this is the next this is the next step gentlemen we and, and ladies we got to do this yeah i mean I, I was always a proponent of that i mean i a lot of these people have an intellect that you know they're they're looking at it from a different side um you know we've heard concerns and we've heard complaints and stuff like that but we didn't have anybody really on a day-to-day -day working with the board you know kind of giving us advice and 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 um kind of giving the concern from the manufacturing side. So we, we convened in uh, DC back in uh, October of 21. And we had a, a strategic planning session where we brought in a professional uh, facilitator to do that. It was a very difficult exercise. It was for, you have a lot of type eight, you know, retailers coming in and we had to turn our phones in at the door and we, you know, we got to know what the sales are, you know, is the POS system down, what issues are back at our stores, but we had to put all that aside and really sit down and focus on what we needed to do. And so we, we kind of narrowed our focus, you know, to concentrating on, on what we can do to make retailers better retailers. Um, and it coincides also with the trade show. So obviously that's our big marquee event, uh, the biggest revenue driver for the association. Uh, that's not the only, we're, we're exploring new revenue uh, models and uh, uh, new other revenue avenues that we can uh, help, the, help the association drive, you know, the, the litigation and the legislative efforts. It costs a lot of money. Uh, you know, we've, we've spent as an association $3.8 million just in litigation. Um, at one point we were spending in excess of 1.5 million a year in lobbying efforts as well. So uh, we needed uh, quite a bit of money, but, uh, back to your, uh, your question, or it was just, it was just a different time. We needed to, to do business different and we needed the intellect of the associate membership 
and uh, to have them more involved, more engaged. Um, you know, if they're engaged, then they also recognize the importance of making, um, you know, this association successful. And um, so that, that's kind of where that was born from. But I mean, we've, it was things that we've talked about over the past few years, but it really came to fruition back in October. That's terrific. I'm, I'm really excited for the direction of the PCA with this, with this expansion of the board uh, and particularly with those individuals contributing. Um, it's, I think it's going to be for a better, uh, better organization. And I think that, you know, everyone thinks when they think about PCA, they, unfortunately, and we'll get to this topic here in a second, but the, the, they always think about the trade show and there's so much more that the organization is, as you, as you were very well aware of. Um, so I, I'm really excited about not only the direction of the way the trade show will go with some of these additions, but also just the organization in general. Uh, and I think um, with opening up those seats too, uh, Greg, I mean, just to be kind of, I mean, call it what it is and, and, and bring it out. I think uh, it, it, it brings manufacturers to the table even more than they already have. Manufacturers have contributed to the yeah. industry. Don't want to make light of that. Oh yeah. yeah. That they have not. Um, but this even, by having a seat at the table, so to speak, that it even it even gives them more of an opportunity, and it, uh, and their dollars will definitely be uh, um, heard as well as, as spoken, kind of metaphorically speaking. So um, that'll be really, really, really terrific for the organization. So excited for that. Yeah. So just before we do launch into some of the, this year's trade show and everything, just to kind of take a step back for just a second, you you mentioned you you got into this business in the early '90s. Um, how did that all happen? I mean, so you, you, so you were a pre boom baby, so to speak, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was right at the, at the cusp. I mean, uh, I think what was the first issue of cigar aficionado was 1992, I think Correct. was the premier issue. Um, so that's kind of, I always enjoyed cigars. Uh, my grandfather was a cigar smoker. So, um, I always associated it going to his house, you know, and, um, just seeing him, you know, as with a cigar, you know, it, it was just a natural uh, love for me. But, uh, and I can remember the first time I actually uh, smoked a premium cigar, it was 1985. Um, but at the time, I owned a construction business uh, in the early 90s. And um, a friend of mine had a cigar shop and he asked me to build a walk in humidor. And I was like, what the hell is a walk in humidor? <laughs> in his house oh, or for the shop? For the shop. Okay. <laughs> for a shop. And because uh, I don't know if, how far back you go, but if you used to go to a tobacco shop, the best you would ever see would be cabinet sized cases. Of and course. it would be yeah. humidified with an old moist and air or something like that. But, uh, uh, you know, a lot of shops, it was just like a, a store case, like a jewelry case. It would have boxes in it. And some maybe humidified, some maybe not. <laughs> So uh, I did what little research I could at that point on what a walk-in humidor was, and I built him one. Um, and th this story would probably take up two hours, so I'm, I'll be very <laughs> brief. But uh, uh, that guy kind of got um, a little upside down, and that's how I got into the store side of it. But um, I think it was 90, 92, I recognized that uh, this was going to be something. And so I manufactured some cabinet size humidors uh, in my shop, in my wood shop. And I took them to the 94 trade show. I can't remember. I think that was Orlando. 
I can't remember if that was Orlando or 95 was Orlando. I can't remember, but I didn't really sell a lot of them. They were very expensive uh, because they were all hand built. And uh, I think the cheapest one I had was about five grand. And, um, oh, but wow. I did in the early nineties, this was the early. Yeah. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, this is pretty, pretty nice stuff, but, um, so Daniel Marshall I, was inspired by you. Like, let's, <laughs> well, I, I mean, his specialty was more, this, this was more of a, uh, a large cabinet. Like they, I think the smallest one I made held 5,000 cigars. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, um, but I was using the, the old moisture air, uh, as my humidification. And then as the boom really started to take off, I couldn't even humidify my humidors. So I kind of pivoted and I designed my own, basically just replicated what they did. I used a plastic acrylic clear case to hold my water so that you could actually see how much moisture was in or how much water was in there, whether or not it was getting cloudy and moldy and stuff like that needed to be changed. There was a couple of things I thought moisture there could have done a little different. So I tried to employ those in mine. And in the 95 and 96 trade shows, um, I started selling them. Uh, people would come up and they said, we like your humidors, but a little too expensive, but where do you get that humidifier? And I said, well, I, I make them. And they said, well, can you make uh, 50 of them? And I'm like, uh, I guess I can, you know, I'm, I'm making one <laughs> onesies and twosies, you know, for my humidors. And um, so I had to teach my carpenters how to make these. I rented some space, put a little assembly line together and I started pounding these things out and I was selling them all over the world for a couple of years. And then in 98, when uh, that original guy that I built that walk-in humidor for, um, uh, an opportunity arose that I could open a shop. So I actually bought his shop out. We bought his shop out. And um, was it the tobacco rest- company back then, or did you change the name to the tobacco? No, company? changed. We changed the name. Uh, boy, I should know this. It'll come to me, but I forget what the name of it was. Change the name though. That's uh, yeah. I just yeah. didn't know if it's the. Yeah. What? Um, it's a very classic name. Uh, a little, obviously, a little on the nose and everything. Why did you settle on that? Just because it sounded very classic and. Yeah. And my, uh, I, you know, I just always thought that I wanted to keep things simple, like the humidor company was called the Pennsylvania humidor company. And, uh, I think I had probably, I don't want to say I stole it, but I, I liked the, uh, there was a restaurant down in Richmond, Virginia. I think it was in the Omni hotel and it was called the tobacco company. And I remember eating there, uh, at one point, I don't know if that was after the fact that I, I can't remember back that far, but, uh, I, just thought it was just, you know, sim- simple and clear and clean. And that's why I went with it. I'm a very classics guy, Greg. So I don't want to make it sound like it was disparaging at all. I like the name oh, a lot, no, no, quite yeah. a bit, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, that's great. That's great. So, I mean, fast forward. Okay. So, you know, you get on the board now you're, you know, because you're elected the, the president um, of, of the PCA board. Now your term is expires. I have one more full year as president. So okay. at the end of next year's trade show, I will step down. Scott Regina will take over and I will be the ex officio for two years. The, the position that John Anderson now currently holds. Okay. And it's kind of the, you know, just to keep that historical perspective, uh, we just felt that it was probably pretty smart to keep that position. And, and what, so what's, um, 
sounds terrible. Like I'm, I'm ragging on John. I'm not. What exactly does the ex officio? What's their, what's their, what are, what's their responsibility? They, they still have a full vote on the board. Okay. Um, they're involved in all the executive committee meetings, uh, all the um, different committees that we have, the trade show committee, legislative committee. They still participate as almost just like a regular board member. Okay. But their day to day responsibilities are obviously lighter because they don't yeah. have like an actual position like secretary or treasurer or something. Okay. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and then is there is there anything after that? Like, what's will is John allowed to come back or is he officially off the board at that point? If well, he, uh, he's a, he take he, that position or. Yeah. Uh, yes. He'll, he'll be officially done. Now our committees is in another uh, kind of uh, procedure that we put into place, you know, for transparency is that we've opened up the committees to anybody. Uh, if anyone, now there's a, there's a few that aren't relevant. Like we can't have uh, say a retailer from, you know, Montana that says, you know, I want to sit on the finance committee. He just doesn't have, you know, the, uh, the historical perspective and he doesn't have all the knowledge to be able maybe to sit on that one, but he'd certainly be on the legislative committee. He could be, uh, or she could be, uh, on the trade show committee, uh, you know, lots of good introspect that they could bring that, you know, you know, especially, you know, retailers that have attended the show, and are there, you know, primarily just as a retailer, you know, they may see things that we, you know, don't see. We're as, as a board and as a, especially as, a, as the executive committee, um, it's very difficult to conduct any of your retail business at that trade show. I do. I try and do what I can before and I'm still working on some of it uh, even as we speak. So because uh, it's, it's a pretty heavy lift. I mean, like the, the, uh, that Trump thing was obviously a one-off thing, but there's a lot of that stuff. You know, the uh, uh, I remember last year the uh, or the uh, House member, U.S. House member that represents the uh, the uh, strip district or the uh, casinos and stuff like that. She came in, so I had to go meet her and you know, kind of walk her around. Rudy Giuliani came one year. I kind of babysat him, walked him around the trade show, showed him, you know, introduced him to different people and that kind of stuff. So. You have a lot of a lot of different duties you have to do a lot of a lot of things you have to do when you're uh, at that level. And, yeah, Greg, and you were you, know, you just said a minute ago to uh, uh, and I've flubbed a couple of times tonight too by saying gentlemen and it, no disrespect intended. There are there are actually there are two women on the board. I think that's really important to note. Oh yeah, this is yeah. you know uh, Jessica Hudson and uh, and I always butcher Mary's name, but it's uh, um, it's Zarmak. 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 Yep. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Smoker friendly. And uh, she she has great perspective. She's been very active in Colorado. Uh, I think she heads up their government relations department. Um, so she's been a, a wealth of knowledge and she's been a great board member. We had Luz Normand, who just rolled off from Neptune Cigar uh, a year ago. She was an attorney. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've uh, we've had some very good perspective and very good participation. I uh, look forward to more. Absolutely. The, uh, I mean, so to this year's trade show, you mentioned like you had the opportunity to do a couple of special things, it, but it was, it was a little surreal for me because, you know, I think of you as the president of the, of the board of directors. Right. And 
but when I ran into you for the first time at this trade show, you were you were you were at actually Rocky's booth that you were filling out an order form. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you you were still doing you were still doing the business. And I walked away. I was like, and uh, and uh, I was with uh, of course Coop, Ben Lee, and, and Aaron Nielsen. They're like, what what what? Because uh, I had I guess a funny look on my face, and they're like, what's 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 eating it? Yeah. And I was like, oh nothing. It was like it was just it's funny because the the president of the board of directors is filling out an order form. Uh, I just, <laughs> I mean, that's why he's, that's why you're all, all of y'all are there too. I mean, y'all are proprietors, you're all realty, real, real um, retailers. So it's, of course you guys are doing that. It just never, it just never occurred to me uh, that that's what y'all do um, at the trade show too. So it just was a, it was just a funny moment for me, but, um, yeah. but to this trade show, Greg, I, t- I told you this kind of leading into tonight's show and everything. Um, um, this was a trade show and I've been to, uh, this was my fourth, uh, always, a, always a media member. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, would have been my fifth except for the, the COVID year. But, um, right. but I was, um, this was probably, I mean, the first one will always hold that special place in my heart, but I think, uh, this was my, I think this was the best trade show that I've been to. Uh, this was a fantastic trade show. I think you guys did an incredible job. Um, I think everyone was really happy to come back in 21. I think that that joy was still there, um, but it was it was it was a really really large step off from last year, uh, and it was something I, I hope you guys are incredibly proud of it because you did a you did a fabulous job. Yeah, thank you. I I mean, there's a lot of credit. I mean, the staff was wonderful. I, if you remember 21, uh, we put that show together in 100 days. 100 days, yeah, <laughs> and uh, incredible. We are already planning next year's trade show the day that, that this trade show ended in 22 we're planning for next year and we're actually planning for 24 uh we put out over i think it was 30 30 to 50 i can't remember now rfps across the country uh to look at different options <clears throat> different options for 24 mm-hmm. uh unfortunately it it it, it to bring this many people together to enjoy our products, to be able to smoke at, at a trade show. Uh, a lot of those kind of go by the wayside, but I mean, we looked at Indianapolis uh, at Lucas field. Uh, we were talking about setting up on the field itself and doing the trade show right on the, on the field. But uh, uh, someone out there, I guess, got wise to the, uh, you know, the tobacco part of this and, Oh yeah. And put the kibosh to that. We looked at Churchill yeah, the, Downs. The, the devil's weed, man. That's what we're, that's what we're slinging here, Greg, you know? God yeah. Bless. Uh, but insert uh, eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it basically came down to uh, two options for 24, uh, which is Vegas at the Sands Venetian, same, same show place. we just put on uh, in July again, or April in New Orleans. Uh, there is another opportunity. I, I don't know that I, uh, it's in Vegas and it's in April and, uh, mm. but I, I can't really go into any detail right now on that one. Uh, it seems like that the important part of this, um, uh, metric is that the, it's the time of year. Um, we put out a surveys on what people would prefer both on the uh, retail side and the uh, associate side. And right now, it seems like New Orleans in April is leading. Uh, we're going to put out another survey to see if that would because of the time of year or if it was the location. 
mm-hmm. I would suspect that it's the time of year coming into the prime buying season for probably most of us. I know you guys in the, you know, kind of the deep South Texas, some of the real hot areas, you know, that's kind of maybe the slower time, but, uh, um, but for the majority, it seems like that they like that, uh, that April timeframe. So we, we're, we're exploring an option in April in Vegas as well for 24. So that, that brings about a couple of questions. I mean, um, the, I mean, does that, the, does that run us up against too close against another trade show that's been competing for the, in the space, which is uh, TAA, the, uh, TAA uh, which mm-hmm. is in the premium cigar specter. And then the total product expo, which is cigars and everything now, as they say, right, it's right. the total product. It's not even tobacco plus anymore. It's, it's total products, uh, which is just everything under the sun, including premium cigars. I mean, is there any concern? I mean, for me, either you're, your personal or for the board's perspective about running up against those events. I mean, cause there's a lot of TA members yes. on the board. Right. Is there? Yeah. There, there's uh let's see one, two, three, four. Yeah. There's at least, at least four or five of us that are TAA members as well. Not that I, I never even really focused on that count, but yeah, but uh, that is definitely a topic of discussion. Uh, both of those shows. I don't think T has announced their 24 dates yet i would assume that they're probably going to be in that january february time frame it seemed like that that was kind of their area or the time frame that they were holding i'm not sure to be honest like i said i didn't see what but uh, ours were kind of pigeonholed we got to do what we got to do this is of course yeah this is the big one and um and i kind of equated to uh you know being the titanic and those other shows are like uh speedboats you know they are a little bit more nimble and potentially have the opportunity to be able to shift or move if they feel that it's in conflict with us um but the uh, the pca show is just too big to to kind of and our options are so small that right we got to kind of take what we can get yeah i think the um i mean the only you you did a great job of explaining it there just a few minutes ago but i think one of the uh the pieces of feedback that I heard from retailers um, about those dates and venues and stuff is they were like, well, why not Tampa? Well, why not this place? Well, why not that? And, you know, you just explained it, how it was, you know, we're, we're very limited uh, in because of the, because of the smoking aspect of it. Yeah. Tampa was one we looked at. We looked at Orlando. We looked at Tampa, we Miami. I think we may even looked at Dallas, Houston, Phoenix, um, and, and for one reason or another, they just kind of got weeded out. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep looking, you know, maybe new opportunities will arise, but a lot of these, uh, venues, uh, they're kind of their crown achievement is to be lead certified and to be lead certified, um, they're, they cannot have any smoking component or any tobacco component. Right. To that to that venue. So uh, that kind of limits us and some of their funding that they get, I guess, and subsidies that they would get from state government, local government uh, require that uh, lead certification. So, well, the the hard part, too, was um, not just that, but like like in Tampa, for example, I heard that it wasn't that that's the smoking component wasn't a problem for Tampa. It was, it was yeah. venue venue size. You couldn't venue, find a venue hotels. Yep. Um, 
that's because uh, that's also problematic too when you think about some of these smaller cities. Um, I know you guys looked at Churchill Downs. The convention center in Louisville is massive. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at that. Um, I attend every year the Green Industry Expo, which is for lawn care, landscaping, construction for my mm. day job. Okay. Um, and it's at the convention center and um, it's massive. Uh, that 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 space is massive I, I again the other accommodations that we talked about the, the smoking and the the hotels and stuff like that it would be something that i'm sure you guys looked into for churchill um yeah that, but, that's the two big components that kind of yeah. put a kibosh to everything it's the uh the smoking yeah. and the and the available hotel rooms without get like in new orleans it was kind of uh difficult uh to put on because we had so many ho- different hotels that we had contracts with Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the Hilton, which was kind of our headquarters hotel. And then I think we had two Marriott properties. I think we had an embassy suites. I can't even remember, but there was at least a half a dozen uh, hotels that we were contracted and we had like a bus loop. We rented buses. I don't know. Have you been to a New Orleans trade show? No. What was the last one? Oh yeah, you wouldn't. Okay. Uh, So we had like this bus loop that would, uh, these buses that would, run continuously so because it's just so hot and humid in uh new yeah. orleans at that time you can't walk anywhere i mean i, I would me. hate that i would hate them that than worse than walking around in vegas i have to be honest personally yeah yeah <laughs> it's it's way more difficult yeah when i saw new orleans as a as an option i was like dear god not the summer i will take vegas every time i don't care if it's 117 outside i will walk around in 117 degree heat over whatever it is in new Orleans at that time of year, because the humidity will just kill me. (laughs) I'll take it every time. Um, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's, I, again, just going back to the issue of like transparency and stuff, I think it's, um, it was a real nice step and, and, and discussion. I think, again, I think most people would have liked to know why, like these were the venues that were chosen. These were the timeframes that were chosen rather than it just feeling like it just being these were the choices and stuff. But I think the fact that they have, that we have choices and it's not just time of year or it's not just one place, I think is really, is a really great opportunity for, for this trade shows expansion and everything too. So that might make it easier also for a lot of retailers that can come to now come too. Yeah. Uh, with time of year changes and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we even looked at, um, uh, kind of regional trade show model. We've, we've discussed that numerous times um, where, we, and, and I, I, I kind of, I kind of developed this, uh, this idea. I thought that, you know, basically just to run it up the flagpole and see, see what, and there was, there was some interest in, in this model uh, because I think it does open up the opportunity for smaller retailers that can't afford to take seven days to go to Vegas prime selling season um, you know, they might be, uh, you know, a, just a, strictly a mom and pop shop. You know, they, they just don't have the staff to, uh, to, to field the shop. So, um, I kind of had an idea, maybe we do these little smaller two, three, four day pop-up events, you know, maybe one in Atlanta somewhere where you mm-hmm. can pull people from Mississippi and Alabama and then in Florida, obviously Georgia and the Carolinas, it could drive in very easily or fly in because, you know, right. obviously it's a big hub. Atlanta, huge hub. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte, uh, you know, Dallas, uh, Phoenix. And um, 
I think it would help uh, expose uh, some of these smaller or retailers. And the difficulty is, uh, you know, with the uh, associate side is, you know, being able to staff and, you know, obviously those guys' time, especially the principals, the Carlitos, the George Padrones, I mean, they can't be flying all over the country doing trade shows. Um, so that, that would be a challenge. Uh, but um, certainly they don't need the booth presence that they do at the, uh, at the PCA show, mm-hmm. uh, the big show and in Vegas. Um, but I thought that Vegas would still be kind of our marquee event that that would be more of a conference to come in and have an educational component, maybe a buying component. Obviously that's always going to be attached to it. Um, but uh, maybe not make it as long. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a full week because those manufacturers, when they come in to set up, they're coming in like the day after 4th of July this year to set up. And then they're tearing down a day, you know, a day or two after we leave. Right. So you're talking eight, nine, 10 days for some of those people. Yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge commitment for, uh, for the manufacturers, for sure. The, um, the other thing I was going to say, uh, I've, I, I'm really excited to hear you say about the regional thing. I've been a big proponent of this for a long time. Uh, like you said, have a main trade show still, but have more regional event. This gives, I see the way I saw it was a great opportunity, a, a grander opportunity for more education because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of manufacturers and, and from my selfish standpoint of the media, we can't go to a lot of these educational events because there's, a, you know, for some retailers, yeah. again, they can't, they can't afford to be there for all four days. They, they got to go home to their shop. Right. So they'll, they'll try to do all their buying into one or two days and then they'll leave. Um, we saw, you see a little of that pretty much because of traffic, but, um, and then from a media perspective, we just can never, we can never get to everybody. Um, and, but it's a, it's a real downer that we can't go to some of these education events from my selfish perspective. But I think, but my bigger intent sincerely is for more retailers to attend those. Cause obviously it's more important for them. Yeah. And I think that would, the regional events would really lend to that. Like you said, a lot of the marquee players can't make all of these regional events, uh, but it would make for a grander opportunity for more education, uh, more business advancement, business mm-hmm. training modules and everything. Best practices. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm really excited to hear you say that you've been a proponent for that. I hope something comes out of that. Cause that that's genuinely exciting to me yeah. um, for sure. So um, to kind of go into this year's trade show, what was, what was the, what was the, what was the most exciting thing for you? Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a few examples. And if none of these examples are your pick, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like there, this trade show was, chock full of a lot of exciting things i think there were a lot of uh, things to look forward to of course the 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 fuente padron collaboration was a huge event um within the event uh guy fieri being at the trade show was just a massive draw what a what a what a what a huge positive that's been for this industry um and for the trade show itself um you know and of course i think a lot of companies brought some really stellar product as well. What was, but what was the most exciting aspect for you this year? What were you looking forward to just as a, just as a retailer or, or, or as a cigar smoker? Well, I, I think one of the most exciting things is I, I felt that it, it seemed like there was just a, a pent up enthusiasm and people truly wanted to be there. 
I mean, obviously mm -hmm. the things that you, you mentioned were huge highlights. The, uh, the Fuente, um, uh, Jose Blanco seminar. I think we had that set up for 600 people. And I, I remember turning around and looked, it looked like just about every, it was standing room only. Uh, there was a line two hours before. It was I, like a Disney World uh, ride, Greg. I was, it was fantastic. Um, so uh, obviously that was that was a, that was one of the highlights. Uh, the opening reception was very exciting. We had um, uh, 1,500 people attend that, um, uh, and I think last year I think we were somewhere around 700 and some people that attended the. Uh, the uh, opening reception, we had 1,510 people come to that uh, opening reception. Um, uh, I was excited about that. The, uh, the PCA lounge was a new component that we uh, advocated for. I think that was a godsend. I think people really liked that. I think they enjoyed it was that. Great. It was um, a great idea. It, it was a good center point where people could come in and show all the PCA and, exclusives too. It, exactly. Great. Yep, great. Yep. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of good stuff. And the, obviously, the PCA exclusives uh, was definitely a driver. Um, we've had a lot of retailers that are very excited about coming just, just for that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was just a compilation of all those things. But uh, it, there was just an overwhelming enthusiasm for people that actually wanted to be there for a change. You know, some in years past, you know, like I said, this would – you know, I missed that. We all missed, obviously, the 20 show, but uh, this would have been my 28th. And I don't recall uh, that much excitement uh, for getting together at that trade show in, in any of the ones that I've ever been to. I, I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, Greg, I, you know, my second trade show, 2019, the halls were just, you know, we called them the halls, you know, the, the dials and everything like that. The, yeah. the, the buzz was just low, the the attitude was lackluster i mean it, i mean i was still excited i still you know i call call me still a baby and i'm still a baby in this i still get excited i was still really thrilled to be there um but it was it was kind of a buzzkill in a lot of ways and i just felt i felt uh when i left that trade show i felt down just because not because i thought it was a, a downer of a show at all i thought there was some really exciting products and some really cool stories out of it and everything but it was uh it just it, it especially looking back uh, rec retroactively it, it really had that that negative feel and last year was really great like you said everyone who wanted to be there was everyone who was there wanted to be there and then this year yeah. i would i would even multiply that by a yeah. few like it was just so it was just so positive um I, I you know i heard a couple you know there's always a negative nancy's in the room like i heard a few people like you know hear rumbles and hear but they were almost it was like almost like they were annoyances they were they were the one they were annoying like everyone else was like dude shut up <laughs> like just yeah this and just enjoy it. Like, I think they're, um, it was just a really, really trans, uh, you know, really, you know, terrific trade show. And, and it really built upon from last year. Like there were, I think there were things that were some, that could have been improved on and, and you guys made some major improvements from last year. And I'm really looking forward to hopefully you carry that momentum and keep building for 2023. And the last few years or any, uh, indication of that it, it sounds like you guys will be so I'm, I'm really looking forward to 2023 already yeah what was the what was the worst feedback that you got personally no i'm kind of putting you on the spot here but interested to hear if you heard something that maybe 
I don't know. I can't, I can't pinpoint anything. I, there was nothing. I mean, kind of a common thing is the, uh, the, the lunchtime, uh, food choices. Uh, that always seems to be, I don't know that I've ever <laughs> been to a trade show that anyone was happy with what we, uh, the, the, the options that they had for lunch. I still have um, never eaten lunch at a trade show, so I wouldn't know, but keep going. Get this fine. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, they're really, they're, they're, that's why I said this was, this show was overall, it was just positive, you know, 100%. I mean, manufacturers were excited. They were writing record businesses. I talked to a couple of my reps that, uh, um, I guess, I, I don't know if I, I shouldn't, one of the major guys uh, was there told me that it was the, the most that he had ever written. Oh, he wow. had written more on the first day than he had ever written in any of his trade. And this is a, this is a sizable a this seasoned is not guy. A, yeah. 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 25 years in the business. Oh, wow. So uh, I was excited to hear that. And, and that theme carried over to, to a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the manufacturers. I think the, um, the unfortunate COVID stuff, uh, obviously reared its ugly head again that was probably uh you know if i had to pinpoint you know some the most negative thing would it probably would have been that i know some of the companies were hit pretty good with that i don't want to dwell too much on it greg but i do want to you since you brought it up and i, I mean i was going to bring it up anyway do you i mean do you feel like the pca could have done a could have done or should have done a more trans you know to use the the word the word du jour a more transparent job about <laughs> Uh, you know, some of the positive cases that came about as the, as the trade show uh, went on and then obviously ended with as well. Well, it was, um, I, I think there were a lot of people that were reluctant to even tell us um, because I know I made some personal phone calls to some of the manufacturers and I was like, did you have a, any issues with the COVID? And I was shocked. Some of them said, uh, you know, well, between you and me, yeah, like 40% of my guys went, came home with it. And I was like, what? Yeah, I, I had no idea. So uh, um, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, some of them were reluctant to talk about it. But um, and, and fortunately, I, I most most of them seemed like they were fairly mild cases. I did hear a few that were, uh, uh, you know, might have gotten a little more serious. But uh, as far as I know, everyone has recovered and uh, doing well. So. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, I still, this, we have no idea how many people were totally affected as far as the number. I mean, and it seemed to be, um, you know, with certain companies, they seem to get some I've talked to said, no, we no, everybody was fine. You know, it was, it was I mean, very we had strange. One, we had one staff member. So, um, but you know, I 18, 20 of the people that had COVID that I know personally, I hugged, kissed, shook hands, you know, talked, gave orders, and you know, I, it, it escaped me. And I don't know. I still may be immune from when I had it uh, back in October. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I was I was shocked I didn't get it, uh, considering how many people I had close contact with just in the last twenty four hours. Heck, the yeah. last twelve that can't like right. that pop positive, like you know, later that day or when they first got back, and I was like, oh gosh, I've got it. I, I landed and I, I took a test and I was negative, and I took five <laughs> took five tests. I was negative each time. I couldn't I couldn't believe. I was shocked. I was just I was like, I've got it. I have it. I'm you know, <laughs> and what, no, I can't think. Her name is escaped me. Matthew's wife. 
I think Nicole. she had a Nicole. Yeah, she had a pretty good case of it. I think. Yeah, and she, I, I, think, I think she caught it pretty early on too. That, um, but I, I don't, I don't know, and I want to speculate either. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it, it certainly, uh, it certainly was a, a, a note. It, it's interesting that, like you said, a lot of people weren't willing to, were nervous, nervous. I guess was the word you used to dis- disclose it and everything. Um, I mean, my, my, the, I mean, my only criticism of it is that there's a lot of international travelers that come to the trade show each year and that that in depending on the country that they're returning to it can be uh it can be very problematic so yeah um that was the reason i brought it up but now, um, i didn't hear any cases of anyone traveling no. internationally that had an issue going back same here uh, so hopefully uh, maybe they all escaped it but yeah same here for sure well um we're going to take a quick break here, uh, Greg, and we're going to go into a couple of our more fun segments. But I want to talk a little bit more, obviously, about the trade show. A lot of stuff to come out. We talked about some of the good, some of the some of the not so good. But uh, overall, a fantastic show. I, I, I mean, are you are you proud of it, Greg? I mean, I said I said you oh, should yeah. be proud of it. Are you proud of what you've what you all have accomplished? Very, very. I think uh, you know the staff did a wonderful job. The board did a wonderful job. Um, I think uh, everyone that was involved that was. Did a, did a fantastic job. How's that? Uh, how's that? A good old, product. Yes. How, speaking of good product, how's that? Uh, the Olmec uh, smoking That's for you? Smoking very nice, especially up here in this uh, humidity in Pennsylvania <laughs> we have right now. What you mentioned the humidity before we start? What, what like what is it right now? What is it like fifty percent higher, lower? Oh, it's higher. It's probably uh, I'd say ninety-ish. Sweet God, how's yeah, it's it's. What thick. does that do to outdoor smoking? Like, I mean. I mean, cigars it's, get really spongy really quick. I mean, it does. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's a bummer. Yeah. That's a bummer. You got to use your Bovita packs to take the humidity out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The rest of the country is selling 72s and 69s. You're up there selling like 55s or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can't. It's 90. Jeez. Yeah. It's got to be 90% today. I bet. Oh my gosh. How, how you haven't changed shirts already? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I got a little ceiling fan up above me that's oh, saving perfect. me. Perfect. Yeah, I think it's still it's still uh, ninety. The sun's gone down. Has been down for a couple hours. I think it's I think it's still ninety degrees outside here. It's nuts. Probably ninety five. It's crazy, crazy heat. Not as much humidity. There were about about thirty five, forty percent mark. Yeah. Um, which my my mother who's uh, I was born and raised in El Paso, still lives in El Paso, Texas. So she's used to the Vegas kind of heat, that dryness. So she, she thinks this is humid where I live. I'm like, yeah, no, you, you have no idea <laughs> what humidity is. Um, but uh, that'll take us into our, our fun segments here. We got, uh, of course, the presidential trivia um, uh, segment tonight, sponsored by United Cigars, and it's uh, featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living united. So, uh, Greg, as we talked about before the show, I'm a huge, a huge presidential trivia uh, history nerd, and uh, I love I love this segment just because it, it's, it's a nice little break between conversation about cigars and stuff, and I always kind of gear it towards... Uh, towards the guests that I'm speaking to. And uh, speaking of born and raised, my mother being born and raised in El Paso, you were born and raised in Pennsylvania and that's where you are today still. Uh, that's what you call home. So um, uh, there's uh, there's actually only been two 
presidents that were born in Pennsylvania. Of course, one of them is currently in the White House right now, uh, President Joseph Biden. But the other one, just curious to know if you know who it is. So I'll give you three choices. Was it A, Harry Truman, B, Franklin Pierce, or C, James Buchanan? I, my, my initial guess was James Buchanan. You're absolutely correct. You shook your head really quick when I said Harry Truman. So you knew for a fact it wasn't Truman. I knew Truman wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, James Buchanan. James Buchanan was the uh, only other president from Pennsylvania. Yeah. What um, it's I, I was I knew how high it was in some other like I know that Virginia leads the charge in presidents. Right. Eight presidents have were born have been born in Virginia. The second is. Uh, right behind him is Ohio, believe it or not. It's yeah. seven. Um, I would have, I would have thought, you know, I, I, as I got to thinking about this question, I was like, I know there's been a, I, in my head, I know I was like, I was doing research for this. I was, like, I know there's been a couple. I know, obviously, I know President Biden is from, was born in Pennsylvania, and I knew it was Buchanan, but I thought there was someone else. And I looked at the list, and I was like, nope, no one else has been born was born in Pennsylvania. It was crazy. I think there were some that resided here, but I think James right. Madison resided mm-hmm. in. Pennsylvania, um, but obviously wasn't born here. Um, who else? Well, he's, Biden was definitely, yeah, he was Scranton. Mm-hmm. Monroe. Harrison, I think, was, he resided in Pennsylvania. Resided, point. yeah. Well, you want to know an in, the most interesting? Go ahead. Okay. No, I, I was going to say somebody else, but I know, I don't think Taft was. The, the uh, the um, most one of the most interesting ones, uh, Taft was Taft is actually from Ohio, born in born in Ohio. Uh, Close, <laughs> right? Um, Cincinnati was where he was born. Um, McKinley oh, Wilson. Woodrow Wilson lived in. Uh, it's true. In yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, a lot of high schools named after him. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, uh, the the interesting one that I find is always really cool. It, uh, so the the uh, the officially it's listed as South Carolina, but technically, technically, Andrew Jackson was born in both North Carolina and South Carolina, and it's technically because he was born in a territory. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce it. It was called like the Wacaw Territory, and it's it's south where he was born is South Carolina today, mm. but at the but when it first got put in to statehood it was north carolina so he technically was born in both states <laughs> which is a really cool um yeah, it's right along the that. border yeah it's pretty it's pretty it's a one of those interesting trivia facts uh which is which is really cool so uh um and then but it's but what's also very interesting too about if you think about the like states and everything where they were born the the first actual American citizen that was born, uh, that was that was president was Martin Van Buren. Van Buren, because all presidents before Martin Van Buren were born British sub- subjects. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I didn't know it was Van Buren, but that, yeah, that would probably yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, I was also looking at this this too. The because uh, you would think that Massachusetts would be up there too. There's only been four. 
presidents from Massachusetts, and two of them were father and son. It was both Adams. I, I would have thought there would have been more too, and, but it's interesting. But only 21, only 21 out of 50 states are, are represented to have, uh, have been birthplaces for our, for our presidents. Wow. So, yeah. Well, when Virginia hogs up eight and Ohio hogs up seven, it's, yeah, <laughs> there's not, there's not much that left. Leave a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, what, what's your favorite thing about living in Pennsylvania? I mean, you've been there all your life. It used to be the change of seasons. I mean, I think we were talking a little bit about this before the show started. You know, today obviously is uh, uh, the weather's a little rough with it being, but you know, <laughs> hot, hazy, hot, and humid, but then thunderstorms roll through. But uh, I mean, the fall is a great time of year to be up here. The humidity is low, it's nice and cool. Uh, winters can get really cold. Um, we've had below zero temperatures and two, three feet of snow, 93 and 96. We've had real big snowstorms. I think we both of them were in the three foot range. So oh, wow. we get a little bit of everything here. So that's kind of a uh, unique, uh, you know, from different from a lot of states. So man, it's a pretty state and we've got a lot of mountains and you're kind of close to close to just about everything. I mean, I'm, two hours from DC, an hour from Baltimore, an hour from Philly, three hours from New York city, uh, three hours from Pittsburgh, well, a little longer, maybe the way I drive it's three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania is one of those weird States. Cause to me, it's always seemed like a larger I'm in Texas. So everything is small. Yeah. Like, but Pennsylvania always seemed to me like a larger state, but I've heard like, people like like yourself just talk about like oh yeah it's in the middle i can go to I, I i'm i'm within a cup two three hour drive of all these major east coast hubs which is just crazy yeah. um yeah um the three hours from new york just blows my mind the fact that it's that close yeah um, and i mean if you get up into where uh, biden's from scranton it's only a couple hours you know the northeastern part of pa my uh my father uh, lived in Pennsylvania. My father and mother, after they got married, they my father worked in Trenton, New Jersey, but they lived in Pennsylvania because my father said he would never, with all respect to New Jersey people, he said he would never live in the state of New Jersey. So he, <laughs> they, when he took the job uh, working for Ryder Truck Rental uh, after he got out of the military, um, he took a, they, they needed him in Trenton and he's like, they might, my parents moved to Pennsylvania. So, uh, and my mom loved it there. She did. She really, uh, she, she always, she, uh, she always said that, uh, that if she, uh, had had a choice, if it hadn't been Texas, um, to raise her family, she would have loved doing it in Pennsylvania. So yeah, it's um, a good, good place to raise a family. Cost of living is good. I mean, a home, uh, here in Pennsylvania, you know, in central PA, we're on that, you know, $350,000, $400,000 home in DC is going to be over a million bucks, two hours away. Yeah. Because yeah. you have two stores. Is the, is the main one or the second one? And it's Lemoyne, technically, right? Lemoyne is, yeah, the, the actual town. That's uh, right across the river from the city of Harrisburg. And then the mailing address for the second store is actually in Harrisburg. Okay. So they're so about seven much, miles apart. Okay. I was going to say they're 
obviously relatively close. Seven miles yeah. apart. Yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. How, about how many in the Harris? Great, I guess the greater Harrisburg area. Like how many? How many shops are are in that area? I mean, there's probably there's really only the three kind of uh, I would classify as traditional tobacconists. The rest of them are just little, you know, kind of uh, beer, you know, like uh, distributors and stuff like that that may sell cigars or, you know, a couple golf clubs and that kind of stuff. But there's really only three in, in the Harrisburg area, I would say, three legitimate uh, full service tobacconists. Go off subject you know, to the, do the pipes and pipe tobacco. and Right. Yeah. Right. Is pipe smoking pretty big up there? Because I. Um... It is. We sell a lot of pipe tobacco. I mean, Pennsylvania is obviously very tobacco friendly. I mean, we're 45 minutes from Lancaster County. A lot of tobacco is grown in Lancaster. Uh, uh, majority of it's used kind of like in the mass market cigars or chewing tobacco, but uh, they have been developing uh, premium cigar wrapper now in Pennsylvania, to Pen Pennsylvania broadly, which right. is basically a hybrid, you know, of the uh, Connecticut broadly. I love I love Pennsylvania Broadleaf. I think it's I think it's a very um, um, not underused but undervalued, in my opinion. Uh, I still prefer Connecticut Broadleaf uh, to it if I'm comparing one one to the other. But uh, I think Pennsylvania Broadleaf is a fan fascinating tobacco that delivers some really real complex flavors, uh, specifically when it's blended. I like it's when it's used also in filler and binder too. I think it it, yeah. it can lend to a blend really well. Yeah. Um, I know we uh, obviously got off topic from presidents, but that was our United uh, presidential trivia segment, always brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe and Byron and Alfonso lines from Selected Tobaccos. Uh, smoke one today. Start living united. Um, so, Greg, we, uh, we talked a little bit about your past before you got into the industry. This is now you're, you're coming into your third decade here in just a couple of years in this premium cigar sector. But before that, you said you had a business you were in uh, you were uh, in construction. Um, so this this friend of yours who now got you into the industry, you're 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 a retailer, you know, a couple of years after after you build this walking humidor. But were you in commercial construction or were you in housing? Like what, what did you do at all? What, what, what were you guys doing? Yeah, I was a general contractor. I did everything. Okay. Uh, schools, churches, uh, oh, wow. homes. Yeah. So okay. I was a home builder. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, so did a little bit of everything. I bet the last couple of years has made you want to get back in that industry, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, um, things are done a lot different than they were, you know, back when I was in it. But uh, I don't know that I could uh, be able to cut it. I'd have to learn a lot. You know, a lot yeah. of the practices and permitting and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff changed over the years. Yeah, it's it was unbelievable. Unfortunately, it was a it was a terrible time for our family, but we absolutely needed it. We just uh, we just moved into this home back in January, um, and um, but we needed we needed uh, we needed a bigger home for our growing family. Unfortunately, because uh, I loved my last home, loved it. Um, yeah. Um, I I really never wanted to move, um, but I. My, my younger son knows that this is the last place that we're ever living because I told him that he's going to bury me in the backyard. I'm never moving. I'm never <laughs> leaving. This is it. Uh, this is it. But uh, um, but to that point, we we every week we talk about um, a, a specific charity or a nonprofit of my guest choosing. 
Um, and this has been a fantastic segment because it, it talks about things that are important to different people. And some are cigar related. And as this week would be suggested, it's not cigar related. But you chose the Habitat for Humanity, which is a fantastic organization, uh, building homes for the needy for uh, decades now. And what a great organization. I've, I, I, as a youth, I participated several times, even all the way up through college, uh, worked with uh, uh, on some habitat sites and everything. And it was such a rewarding experience from that perspective. But uh, why did, why did you, uh, why did you choose this organization to feature tonight? Um, like you, I actually participated in, uh, in habitat for humanity when I was a builder. Uh, so we would donate our time and some of our equipment to, to uh, some of these projects. And it's been a long time. And uh, I have a friend that's uh, a board member of the uh, local chapter Oh, okay. uh, and they're doing an event. They want to do a fundraiser in October. And I told them that, that I'd like to work with them and see if there's something we can't do together. So, um, I mean, we've, you name it, we've, we've done literally hundreds over the almost 30 years now, uh, you know, benefiting different charities. We do one every year that uh, helps subsidize uh, tuition for a uh, Catholic high school for some students that, that can't afford to pay the full freight. Uh, so that, that's a good one. I, you know, I, that's close near and dear to my heart. My kids all went to that high school. So, uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So that's something that, uh, that, uh, I'll constantly do, but, uh, you know, we do probably two or three, you know, charitable events probably a year. I mean, we don't have like a marquee event. Like I know some other, uh, retail like John Anderson. In fact, we mentioned him a couple of times. He does a uh, the, the little puff in DC every mm-hmm. year, and uh, and uh, many uh, most almost all retailers do do it to some degree, uh, which is kind of unique in our industry. You know, we have people that uh, uh, very excited about giving back, and um, I think that's important. I'd like to see us as a PCA kind of adopt. Uh, uh, as an association, adopt a uh, charity that we could help support. That's one of the uh, one of the things I'd like to get done before my presidency's up. That would be fantastic, Greg. I, I I'm I've I've had a, I've had a heart for charity for a long time. Um, I've I've thought a lot about different avenues. It's really as I've as I've done the show and we've had the segment going on in October. It'll be two years. Um, the organizations that and nonprofits that we've brought up have been really fast and different and it's opened up my eyes to a lot of different opportunities and and hopefully my audience as well uh for giving opportunities and stuff i think you know that would be i I mean that would be terrific i mean because pca is a is a non-profit you know Mm -hmm. by definition so i mean uh you know my guests can obviously pick pca if they wanted to uh we featured it last year when i had scott pierce on um but it that would be that would be huge um, I think, cause there's a, there's a lot, what I really, one of the things I really love about this industry is there's a lot of, there's a lot of giving hearts in it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have that same mind and heart for charity, which is really, which is really terrific. Um, and I, I think it, uh, would be awesome habitats, um, specifically. Um, I think, I think, um, brings home for a lot of people because, um, you know, is, is like I told you, I volunteered for it a number of times. There's, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people that either know of someone or struggled themselves with housing in their life and everything. So 
you know, building a building a home for a family in need is if you haven't, I really encourage anyone out there who hasn't uh, volunteer with your local chapter. Um, it's a it's a unbelievable eye opening experience. Um, and it's 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 one of those most rewarding experiences, too, because you get you do something with your own two hands. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's this group effort puts together a wonderful project for a family in need. And um, the the eyes uh, of the people that receive that gift are, 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 are something to behold. It's yeah. when it's all said and done, when it's over, it's 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 incredible. It's such an incredible experience and feeling for that matter so, uh so thank you for uh for bringing uh the habitat the habitat for humanity to uh tonight's show greg i appreciate it later tonight my wife and i have always done this since we started doing this uh later tonight we'll be uh we'll be donating a small sum to habitat humanity in your honor so thank you so much for bringing mm, it to you. our attention thank you you said you were, your friend it. is a uh to the local chapter what chapter is that is it that uh harrisburg or yeah harrisburg okay mm -hmm. okay yeah. cool. great well wonderful and well, my uh my brother actually uh had a uh, small stint uh as a building coordinator with habitat for humanity so he managed a lot of the projects that were being done in this area so oh terrific kind of close near and dear to us indeed that's great so getting getting back to um, this year uh, this year for the PCA and the trade show, I just have a couple more subjects on the trade show itself, sure. but there are two really big issues that we haven't even touched on yet um, that I definitely want to get to before the night's over. But um, as we mentioned, the positivity around the trade show, there were some there were some returners to the trade show that weren't able to make it last year. We had a lot of new companies, which were also there that never been to a trade show, never uh, never had been a vendor at a trade show. So that was exciting. But I think a lot of uh, attention was on a lot of the returns. In fact, you're smoking one of the cigars. Um, Nick, uh, who um, had a family obligation, wasn't you know out of anything negative or anything else. He just, he, unfortunately, his company couldn't make it last year. But what was it like to see uh, companies like Foundation and McAuliffe and Casa Cuevas and uh, La Florida Minicana back at the trade show after uh, after a year uh well technically a year hiatus more like two but but technically a year hiatus what was that like yeah it, it was fantastic i mean john uh carney with lfd uh you know sat on the board and uh for a few years and he was a uh a wonderful participant had lots of great ideas and uh it was it was good to see all those people back uh, and a lot of new companies as you mentioned i think we had some, something like around 30 new companies that were there this that year, it, it was unbelievable. This this industry is still thriving. Um, one of the things I failed to mention earlier about the enthusiasm, obviously leading into the trade show, obviously was the uh, the court ruling, uh, which was uh, really put a lot more, I think, enthusiasm. I think people came to the show, uh, you know, after made a decision and uh, were very positive and felt good about being in the business again. Let's dive into this, Greg. You've again, you've been a member of this industry for for almost thirty years. You've been a member of PCA for that long. You've been a member of the board um, for uh, I guess a little over a decade now. Mm -hmm. um, this is, I mean, it's it all started with SCHEP, and that's what got you really involved. And it kind of spiraled. Two thousand fifteen was a 
punch, gut punch to this industry. And since then, we've been fighting and clawing, uh, you know, for every inch, um, the millions of dollars you mentioned earlier in this tonight's show as well. I mean, what an incredible effort by this industry. And, and it, it, we've achieved so many victories in the last 24 months. The warning labels was, it was a big chip Huge. that fell our way. Um, but the decision that came down um, right before the trade show, I mean, first of all, talk about the moment for you personally. Where were you? Who told you? What, what feelings were going through you personally at that moment as a retailer, as a board member, someone who's fought tirelessly for this industry for the last three decades? Like, what, was mo- what was that moment like for you? Well, I can tell you that uh, it was um, Mike Edney, who is the lead attorney or uh, our head litigator, uh, called me and uh, gave me the good news. And I said, who, who have you told so far? And he goes, uh, you were the first I called. And uh, oh, wow. So it was uh, it was very exciting. And, you know, and I mean, obviously, my, my initial reaction was we won. And once I had time to kind of digest and I'm not an attorney, uh, but I've had to learn a lot <laughs> over the years. In we, fact, all have. Uh, <laughs> we all have. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Things I didn't, I never wanted to know. And, uh, but I remember one time when we were forming the, our, uh, kind of legal committee, um, we had some attorneys in the room and I, I, I don't remember I stood up and I asked a few questions and, and the, one of the attorneys said, are you an attorney? And I said, no, I'm just asking what, you know, probably most people would ask. And he said, well, they're pretty good questions. He goes, you're, you're on, you're on the legal team. So that uh, Craig Cass sat in that uh, position, he kind of headed up the, uh, uh, the, the legal committee when we were, uh, when he was uh, serving on the board as well. So um, I remember, I would have a, a, a Zoom call going or some type of video web call going on, and I'd have another laptop off to the side. And when these lawyers were talking about uh, different cases and, and ter- ter- legal terminology, and I was like, I'd be on with my right hand typing it in, Googling it, you know, to find out what it meant, like Chevron deference and things that I never, you know, never heard of before. And uh, so I had to, uh, uh, learn a lot of that stuff, uh, on the fly, but, uh, and, you know, after I kind of took a look at this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still very cautiously optimistic. I think, uh, uh, I think we got a good chance for this being vacated, um, without getting too technical, which I, I really can't get too technical. Cause like I said, I'm not a, an attorney, but, um, the FDA failed to do what they're required to do. Uh, there's an act called the APA act the Administrative Procedures Act, and they have to follow that procedure guideline. And um, since they, the judge basically ruled that they didn't, and so their ruling was arbitrary and capricious. And usually that is perfect grounds for any rule being vacated. So I think we have a very good opportunity or very good chance of this rule being totally vacated, meaning that it's got to go back and they got to basically start all over again. So I think they're going to have to evaluate whether or not we've been punching above our weight all these years. Uh, we're basically three and zero right now uh, against the FDA with the warnings and the, uh, 
pre-market review process was the other uh, portion that we went on. Um, I think they're really going to have to sit down and evaluate whether or not this is a road that they want to go down again. And we're prepared to stay in the fight, CRA, CAA. So, you know, we're going to we're going to fight this to the end. It was really true. I think we talked about this before going live, Greg, and I think, you know, it's one of those unfortunate things, uh, byproducts. I think if, if you, if I, the straw poll that I took, most people either were not aware of really what it meant, or I felt like they were the, on the opposite side of it, which, which, which was, we, we had achieved total victory, uh, which is not far from the truth, but still not a reality yet. So right. just optimism is, is where I, uh, I am as well, uh, on this whole thing too. But I, um, I, it was, a, it was a thrilling moment. Uh, for me, um, I my my wife who has no interest in cigars, she'll she'll tell you how excited I was, and 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 um, she knows that I've been, you know, I've I've called I've called my congressmen, my senators, my state legislators for years, and so she knows how much time and effort I've put into this, and so it was a it was a really it was a really big moment um, for us as an industry, um, and. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that if if this kind of stands to be true and and if it is vacated uh, completely that and it goes back to the board that they kind of hold true to what they announced a couple of years back which was the premium cigar industry was pretty low on their priority board they've, they've made that pretty clear I hope that mm-hmm. remains the 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 to to be kind of the 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 status quo for them um, and kind of leave us alone uh, as we kind of just we'll stay we'll continue to stay in the lane that we've always been which is uh, marketing uh, adult products and making adult products and selling adult products to adults and that's it and and uh you know and we get to enjoy our cigars without uh without fear of um you know non-government entities uh, control, controlling what we can do um but you know you you mentioned the the three and oh the the warning labels the that one to me i mean was a great victory for us but if you know it it, it in in my little corner of the world if that would have been the sacrificial lamb that we would have had to give up to get total get otherwise a total victory i would have i would have taken it but it was the pre-market one that i was really excited about because that was something that never never made any sense to me um because you're uh, this the entity as the fda was was trying to dictate how products that should enter the market without any understanding of how they were made in the first place and that just always blew my mind and it was really great that we could argue and that a judge agreed uh, in our favor in that case from from you from where you sit again just personally not as a member of the pca uh board of directors uh or the president in this case now but just from where you sit personally as a retailer and a cigar smoker like what what bothered you the most about um about the deeming regulations if you could pinpoint one thing or I know they're just overwhelming. Yeah. I, I mean, that, uh, that's a pretty big question. Um, I, I think the fact that the, the, the FDA at every turn ignored some of the evidentiary, uh, studies that we, you know, provided them. And, and basically that that's what uh, this latest ruling was, um, the FDA, uh, specifically wrote that the uh, during the ANPRM when we were submitting comments that we 
that none of the associations provided any documentation or any studies on uh, patterns of use, age of initiation, age of use. Uh, they conflated some of the uh, some of the data that they did have. Um, mm -hmm. They made a claim, I think, that three point eight percent of uh, kids between the ages of twelve and eighteen at one point used a premium cigar. That that was completely false. It was three point eight percent used a a cigar, which could have included all the mass market. If you take a uh, pie chart of the world of tobacco, right, uh, a sliver of that is the cigar world. And if you take that sliver and now make that into a pie chart, there's another sliver sure. that's premium cigars. That's premium cigars, right? So Less than talking, one half of one percent. It's crazy. You're talking 15 billion, you know, of other cigar products that are sold in the U.S. compared to. I think last year was a record year. We imported 465 million units, uh, which was uh, a record for the premium cigar industry. Um, so I think that that was always probably it was more of a frustration is that we weren't being heard and uh, they were just ignoring the science. I think the NASM study, there are some kind of positive aspects that came out of that. I think that they, they kind of... Uh, echoed some of those things that we were saying, look, we don't have the data that you're claiming that these things, these products are addictive and these products are, are being used by youth. Uh, but back to that 3.8%, uh, actually 3.1% of that 3.8% right. have tried a premium cigar. So right. it's statistically unmeasurable. Yes. <laughs> so we are not the issue that they were trying to make us out to be. So um, and I think the judge recognized that. And this is an Obama, an Obama appointee. So right. I feel very good that we're in a good space. You know, the um, I was actually having a discussion with Dr. Gabby Caffey uh, at this mm -hmm. year's trade show who, who was there. Um, and uh, he's been a he's been a huge proponent for um, against the deeming regulations. And it was. I actually modeled, so I made a public comment as well when they were asking for commentary. I modeled a lot of the information I got from his own from his own comment. Uh, the Iroa family put together an incredible comment as well. And then I pieced together some other scientific evidence and, and statistical facts that I pulled together from uh, the study that the FDA actually funded for the New England Journal School, the New England uh, um, Medicine, School of Medicine, yeah. Um, that was uh, really important as well. But uh, I was telling Dr. Caffey that that um, even if this had not gone our way, right, uh, at all, the one thing that I appreciated about this whole thing um, and have a pre and will continue is that this this particular judge, Judge Meta, has has been has been fair, and that's mm -hmm. all. That's all from you know I'm I'm an American and I'm a proud American. That you know when you talk about litigation and, and, and the law, that's all one can hope for. It's just a, it's just a fair platform to, to argue their position. And, and he gave us that. And that was, that, that by far has been so important for me uh, personally to, and our, our industry headed by the collaborative effort, as you mentioned, the PCA, the CRA, the CAA, they've all gotten together to, to fight this. And I think it's, an incredible job by our legal team and uh it's 
it's it's all come to this head. So what's the next step? When's the do you know a roundabout when the next time we have to we have we're appearing in court and I guess this next one will will be the final decision, or at least we're hoping it will be one way or another. Is that right? Yeah, the we we had to submit a uh, in Meta's uh, ruling. He said that he wanted both sides to uh, submit briefs on a remedy on how they were going to fix this. Uh, the FDA they were due August second, and um, they originally due uh, July twenty sixth. They got delayed to to August second. So you can go up on our website. In fact, I think there's other media uh, sources that have put out our comments uh, as well as what the FDA's remedy was. Our remedy is that because of the violation of the APA, that this should be completely vacated, meaning everything that the FDA put into position that, uh, the, the smoking aid, everything will be vacated and they have to go back and completely start over. Um, the, the thing I think there's a, some concern with what the FDA wrote in their remedy that they're afraid that now that 18 uh, year olds will be now exposed to uh, or be able to go back to premium cigars as a uh, choice of tobacco products. Well, they can't. Uh, they can't. 38 <laughs> states have now adopted a uh, uh, 21 age, and I'm sure more will follow uh, if that were the case. Um, well, it was so a federal that, mandate, right? Wasn't it a federal mandate that all 50? So you're only only 38 states have complied with this? No, 38 have written their own. Oh, okay. Okay. Age restrictions on tobacco use. So yeah. even if it was completely vacated in 28, that mandate for 21 was completely wiped off the books. 38 states uh, still still going to be 21. Oh God. All right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's another, that's another cup of tea and probably another show T21. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've had that discussion with a number of your colleagues <laughs> about my, uh, my uh, discuss for all that went down, but, uh, but no, that's um, I mean, what yeah. were you, did you read the, it was due August 2nd. Did you read the position paper of the FDA? I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what were your opinions of it? I mean, they made the same arguments. They said that they can fix those problems. They can go back and take a look at the studies that we put in. So they basically said that uh, they, they wanted to remand it back to the agency to fix those problems. They basically in layman's terms. I, I read that's the impression I got too. from again, I'm not a lawyer either. I, I read it as well. I'm, I'm from where you sit. And again, you're not a lawyer either, but from where you're mm -hmm. sitting, the experience that you've had. The way I read it is basically they were repeating everything that they have been saying, staying for the last five plus years. That's it. And if that's the way Judge Meta interprets it again, I mean, he's just going to rule against them again. Yes. We can hope. Hopefully he reads it the same way I did but he's a legal mind. So he might see some nuance that I didn't see. Um, but is that, is that, I mean, is that an over, I mean, is that the way you interpreted it as well? Or that, that's, that, that was my feeling. Yes, absolutely. How does, uh, if you can comment on this, Greg, I'm not trying to put you in a spot, but how does our legal team feel about their position? Um, I think going, 
up until the decision came out, I think it was a 50-50 proposition. I think, uh, I think, and again, I don't want to jinx anything. I, 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 I think we're in a good position. Okay. And I think that uh, everyone that's involved, especially the legal guys, uh, are about as happy as they could possibly be right now. And as always in our industry, we're faced with a number of fronts that we're fighting on, including now one that we're also fighting is also the flavored component, um, and mm -hmm. which we have just, uh, we, the industry, uh, put uh, a comment out there as well. Um, this this uh, most recent comment by, uh, by our industry, Greg, by all accounts and all measures that I've seen has been the most strongly worded uh, in favor of it. In, in, in the past, I've gotten the impression uh, I've gotten the impression that this was the, the, the flavored, the flavored cigar component or flavored tobacco component has almost kind of been looked at as almost like a sacrificial lamb, but this is, this was a really aggressive mood by move by our industry. Um, what kind of went into that? I mean, did you have any involvement or was it the legislative committee or litigation committee, uh, that, that, that put that together? Uh, no, I think it was a collaborative, uh, across the board and with the litigation uh, with the legal team, um, without, I, I mean, you could almost take, uh, made his ruling and use it as a blueprint to lay it down onto the, the same failures that the FDA, uh, you know, uh, did with the premium cigar side, they're doing it again with the flavor side. So basically that we can make almost a boilerplate argument against what they're doing against flavors and uh, how erroneous it is to, uh, you know, a lot of the demographics uh, that are, are now in our industry, uh, some of the uh, kind of urban areas. And um, I got to be careful on how I say some of, some of the No, stuff don't want to get you in trouble, I, Greg. I, yeah, so yeah, please. please. I, I don't want to give any, any fodder to the, uh, to the FDA, but, uh, I think that they're making the same mistakes. There, there aren't studies out there that show that uh, these products pose any, any difference in health effects, uh, usage patterns uh, as premium cigars. And we certainly don't want anything that any of our membership sells, uh, mm -hmm. even if it's a very small percentage of what they sell. Uh, it's still a legal product. It's still enjoyed by you know, thousands of people. And uh, we're going to fight for everything that uh, our membership sells. I think it goes without saying that if the deeming regulations had passed the way that the FDA had intended them to, it could have, I don't know if, I don't know if catastrophic is an overdramatic word, but I think, I think it is fair to say, and you can feel free to disagree with me. I think it would have, it would have more dramatically impacted your business as a retailer than the flavor component. Is that, is that, do you, do you feel oh, that that's accurate? Without a, yeah, without a doubt. However, okay, I just want to make sure you agree on that. However, if the flavor ban is in, in fact, this is, this is also, this would also make a dramatic pack, uh, impact on your humidor as well. How, if, if flavor ban happened, like a complete ban, let's just lose, use extremes here. You personally, how, how, how much of your business would be impacted? I'm, I'm guessing around 20%. Is that a fair number or am I, am I lowballing you? No, no. Uh, it, it's for me. It was probably more. I, I kind of did it, it. We we actually changed POS systems, so 
a lot of the data that I would have needed to go back. I, I was guessing more in the 15% range. So it was a little bit less for me than it might be for other shops, especially urban areas, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you probably would see that uh, the, those patterns or that percentage would be much higher. So 15 to 35, 15 to 30, probably a fair assessment across yeah. the board. Like across the board. That's, yeah. a, that's a massive that's impact a, to a business. Yeah. Yep. That's insane. So, well, hope, uh, hopefully we can continue uh, our, our good fight with, uh, with this flavor band that's, uh, that's coming. Um, and uh, we can hopefully be successful in that stretch as well. When do, our, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and our comments are all available online on uh, PCA.org. If mm -hmm. uh, anyone hasn't seen them, uh, they're there for anybody to see. So, and you can see the FBAs as well. Yeah, the uh, those links will be in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Okay. I really, I really encourage you guys to check this out. Uh, there's some really, there, I mean, there's a lot of legalese uh, for those who are uh, not lawyers like me and Greg. Um, but uh, but I think it's I think it's still important for people to really understand uh, what the FDA is trying to do um, unfairly to this industry in those in both those aspects. Um, but an, an, another piece of, I, 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 I would characterize it as positive news. I think there's some, um, I, I think there's still some I's that need to be dotted, T's need to be crossed. But the uh, alliance, I guess, if I'm using the proper terminology between the PCA and the BCA was announced just a week or so after this year's trade show. Um, talk to us about how this happened and what, what that means going forward. Uh, what, what, what will that look like going into the trade show for 2023? Well, I, I think it's important because I think it solidifies the industry as a whole. Kind of the, the BCAA, which is the, the Boutique uh, Cigar Association, uh, were kind of off and doing their own thing. So we're kind of rolling them in because, I mean, th th these rules will affect them prob probably more so than some of the midsize and larger companies. So I think it kind of uh, encapsulates the industry as a whole. Uh as far as the uh, PCA in the 23 trade show, we've talked about doing like a, a boutique cigar association pavilion. So it would give those uh, smaller uh, manufacturers the opportunity to be all together. Cause I think they only really do uh, one event. I think it's in Martinsville, Indiana. Uh, the, the BCA gets together and does like kind of a, I don't want to say a trade show, but kind of a, uh, an expo uh, mm -hmm. of those products. So I think it, for me, I, I think as a retailer, it, it's going to be uh, very convenient because a lot of times, you know, you, when, as a retailer, when I take my PCA hat off and I'm in there and I'm like you saw me with in the Rocky booth doing that piece of business, um, you know, there's only so much time that you have. And a lot of those, you know, mid to larger size companies take a lot of time, especially for uh, multiple store operators. And uh, there's some, you know, there's obviously there's stores out there that have, you know, dozens of stores. So it, 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 it can be a time drag. But having um, all those boutique, uh, smaller companies kind of consolidated in one pavilion would make, uh, make life easier as a retailer that I can, you know, because there were, there were a lot of them that I wanted to see at this show. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to all of them because you're trying to bounce around all over the trade show. And you're walking from one booth and the other one might be in the other corner and inevitably you're going to get picked off by somebody that has an issue or somebody wants to, you know, want you to take a look at their product. So it's very difficult having them all in one location might be, uh, I think, beneficial for them. 
to get a, the maximum amount of exposure. And as a retailer, it, it kind of helps us that we have them in one location. We can get in there and see them all at once. So, and, and I don't know if this has been ironed out yet, Greg, but one of the one of the concerns I think for the pavilion was, um, you know, the fact that all these smaller brands, and I agree with everything you just said about how the exposure would be great, having them all in one location would be great, centralized, you could be, a, you know, you could go through several companies in a, a in a very quick time frame, whereas if they were spread out, like you said, they that would be problematic um, for some of the reasons you just mentioned. I, I think one of the concerns that kind of has been brought to light and just didn't know if you guys have ironed out this detail or not like there are other small companies obviously out there that aren't members of the bca um Mm -hmm. who pay for a pay for a booth and everything like that um are there are there measures in place to make sure that that is you know that there's some fairness involved with like maybe costs or or anything like that so if if i'm a if i'm a smaller company for example but i'm not a member of the bca uh, will I be at a disadvantage because I'm a, not a member of the BCA because of, you know, whatever that, whatever the pavilion will look like and everything. Have you, have you guys ironed out any of those details yet? Yeah, we haven't really sat down and put it on a, on the map yet what this pavilion is going to look like, where it's going to be located. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's, it's up to the individual companies to decide whether or not they want to continue to do, uh, you know, their business at the trade show, the way they've currently done it. Uh, we have a priority point system. So, if you've displayed at the trade show in the past, uh, you, you build points. If you stay at the hotel, you get points. And all those things will allow you to choose the spot that you want. Um, okay. We find a lot of those smaller companies like to kind of pepper themselves in and around some of the uh, companies that attract a lot of traffic, sure. um, and uh, which makes sense. And, and that's if they want to continue that model, they certainly can and would encourage them to do so. Okay. Yeah. It, um, it was just one of the things that was brought up in some of our discussions that we're having about it. I, I mean, for me, I think it's, I think the Alliance is a positive, like you said, there's there the, for the centralized aspect of it, uh, bringing um, exposure to some of these smaller companies that maybe have never had the ability to attend a show um, and, and hopefully uh, expanding. Cause I think, um, you know, I still hold true that, you know, what's good for, what's good for one person is good for the industry, uh, in this, mm-hmm. in this case. Um, and, um, I think, I, I think it could be a positive. So hopefully as those, as time uh, marches on towards 2023, we, uh, get, you guys get those ironed out and we can have a more, I guess, firmer grasp on what that will look like and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about, I, and I, I don't want to necessarily end, um, the trade show discussion on, on a negative, but, uh, there was there was something that was kind of brought up in, at the end um, as well, and I just wanted to see if you had any opinions about it. So, if I'm understanding, Greg, and if you can you can certainly correct me if I'm in, if I'm wrong on this aspect. If I am a vendor at the trade show, uh, I'm I, I sign into a contract or an, an agreement that my I will be present, my or I or my company will be present and available all four days of the trade show from beginning to end. Is that correct? That, that is absolutely correct. Yep. Um, I know you're not living under a rock, so I know you know that that's not the case. Some some booths close up early, um, and there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of criticism of those companies. Obviously, that 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 shut, shut down early and everything. Um, 
and there of course was a very public post on social media from one of these uh, manufacturers that also made the comment about how there were actual several PCA board members that left early too. Uh, and he felt that that was hypocritical. Just wanted to get your opinion on that and to see if what we could do in a, to turn about in this more of a positive way, Greg, how we could make involvement and contribution like 100% going forward. Because I know we talk about some smaller retailers that just can't afford to be there all four days. We understand that. Mm -hmm. But what I mean... Any, any thoughts or opinions on, on, on this particular thing? Yeah, I, I, I think first, uh, all companies are contractually obligated to be there from the beginning to the end. Uh, and it's more of a, an insurance issue than, than anything. Uh, that's why a lot of people don't have access. You're not supposed to be in the trade show when they're setting up or tearing down. So there's the a, yeah, there's a component that uh, you're, you're not, some of these booths may not be very elaborate and may not need a, an extensive teardown or build. Uh, so the chances that uh, someone may be injured by doing something like that or causing injury to one of the other attendees might be very low, but it's still, it, it's in the contract that they have to be there till the end and they can't start tearing down till one o'clock or 2 p.m. or whatever time that, that last half day is. Uh, it was unfortunate that some of them do that and I, I don't know if uh, uh, they're trying to create some kind of news or or uh, you know some buzz around that brand or particular brands that uh, may have chosen to, it was only a few um, I, I don't know what their uh, motive is but uh, it, addressing uh, board members being at the uh, or leaving the show early uh I mean, we have a wrap-up meeting that we do the last day of the show. Every board member was there. Okay. So I don't know who you're referring to. Now, did like my flight, I think, uh, out of uh, Vegas was because it's very difficult to, to get to my location to Harrisburg without staying another day. I'm already there eight days. Uh, you know, I want to try and get home. I think my flight was, uh, you know, 2.30, 2.37, I think, to be exact, uh, on that last day. Now, the trade show floor had closed at one o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that was about the time that I was heading to the airport. So uh, if it was me he was referring to, I, I didn't see any he, other. He didn't, uh, they didn't uh, name any names specifically. And yeah, I wasn't trying to subtly call, call you or anyone specific yeah. out because there weren't anyone's named specifically. But everybody um, was there at that, uh, that meeting uh, the last day in the morning, okay. which is our wrap up meeting. Do you, do you think it would, um, I, I know, and I would hate to suggest for put you or any one of your colleagues in a, in a financial disadvantageous position, but do you think it would build a more positive camaraderie between manufacturers and the board and retailers as a whole, if, if y'all made the extra effort to maybe stay that extra day and, and I don't know, just any thoughts on that? You know, well, the, the issue is that we, we come in early because we do our board meeting and we're part of the setup process, the registration. Mm -hmm. uh, almost every board member, unless there's some extenuating circumstance, uh, you know, a birth, a death, whatever, uh, a marriage or something like that, the, most of us are there probably eight days, okay. uh, which is more, more than I think enough. I mean, I think it's, 
for me, uh, more than three days in Vegas, and uh, I'm pretty worn out. So, <laughs> I think most people uh, are. So I, I don't think that uh, – I, I mean, I would certainly address it if there seems like there's a, 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 an underlying tone out there that I'm not aware of. I mean, this is only – like I said, it was really only one guy that made, wrote – that brought brought something like that up. So uh, if it is an issue, I would certainly uh, entertain – you know, and talk to the board. Maybe we can restructure our meetings in a way that we can conduct them. It's very difficult during the week. There are just so many things to do. Sure. We're all, we're all participating in some of those learning seminars and hosting some of those. Uh, so, I mean, our days are pretty, pretty long. I, in fact, uh, I think it was last year. Uh, one of my employees asked me, uh, yeah, how many cigars I had smoked for the week. And I think I had smoked maybe, uh, at that point, it was either six or eight cigars for the whole week. I mean, <laughs> Sounds it, about right. I just don't, you don't have the time. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to give, you know, especially if you're trying new products. So that bag that I kind of showed you earlier, I, I bring home and then I, at my leisure, I can sit down and, and give these, you know, brands that I may not have in the store an honest chance and, you know, taste them and, and see the possibility of bringing them, bringing those products in. Uh, it just, and bring it back up to temp too. (laughs) After days of trying out in Vegas. Yeah. It doesn't take long when they're out of humidification. I mean, you better get on it or it's, it's a completely different smoking experience. So it's really not fair. I think, uh, you know, as a, as a real good test. So, you know, if there's something that I'm really serious about bringing in, I may ask for an extra sample or two so that I can try it. You know, if I do get the opportunity there, uh, and then once or twice when I get home, just uh, to give it a fair chance. I, I can't remember if it was Todd Nafee or maybe it was Scott Regina. I can't remember who said it to me. I, 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 I overheard it was say that the, the only time they had a chance, it, it was a board member though. The only time they had a chance to enjoy a cigar at the trade show was actually at the opening breakfast. Cause everyone's kind of just, you know, it's a, it's an event. So they're, they're, they're relaxing, they're smoking. And if they're not speaking, they're, um, they're actually enjoying lounging and enjoying a cigar. Can't remember who said it, uh, but that seems about right. Cause that's, it's the same for us too. Like we're on the go uh, yeah. from the moment it starts to the moment it ends. So, yeah, cause uh, all our meetings are pretty much are, are all non-smoking. So we can't smoke in our board meetings. Oh geez. Uh, it's a shame. So, you know, really the only time it is, yeah, probably whoever said that was pretty, pretty well spot on. <laughs> I mean, you get it like if you're doing a, a seminar or something like that, the sponsor of the seminar may come over and hand you a cigar, you light it, you're up on stage, you're up and down to, at the podium talking and stuff like that. I mean, you're putting it down, it's gone out, you're relighting. Yeah, I mean, you really, you're really not, you know, giving that product the, the fair due that it, you know, that it deserves. I know in the past you all have uh, really made an effort to bring in some really fantastic uh, and highlight keynote speakers. We talked about, I'm, I wasn't there, but I heard, I heard from a lot of people who attended the, the Marcus Luttrell opening uh, speech was incredible. Um, Rudy Giuliani, um, we had the, the, my first trade show was the CEO of, of Harley Davidson, I believe. Ken Schmidt. Uh, Yes. Yep. And uh, I mean, there's been a number over the years, right? Uh, Mike Ditka, I heard about that one was also uh, entertaining and, and, and fun as well. But um, I have to be honest, uh, I really enjoyed Nick Melillo this year. 
Um, yeah, he did a wonderful job. Um, and I, I know you kind of want to potentially bring in someone who can draw. Um, uh, but just from my little corner and my little suggestion box, Greg, I thought having Nick go up there and tell his story was fantastic. And if, if, if I could, you know, and put in some influence on you, I think having something like that every year, I think would honestly be better in a lot of ways. I mean, your numbers and analytics might tell you something different, but um, I thought, I thought it was incredible to have him. So for whatever it's worth. No, I agree. I think there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, great personalities in our industry that I think, you know, Michael Herklock, Tim Osniger, which is very exciting. Him coming back. Yes. Great speaker. Uh, wealth of knowledge, um, having some of those people come up and tell their story. You know, um, I, I had the privilege of uh, having dinner with Tim uh, one night while we were out there. And uh, it was remarkable. A lot of the things that I really didn't know, you know, about him and his family and how they got mm-hmm. started and all that stuff. So it was good to uh, uh, reconnect with him. And uh, he's just a funny dude. So we had a great, great dinner. But there are so many people up there that, that, that could come up and, and tell their story, and I think would go a lot longer. I mean, we've had um, Terry Bradshaw, Lou Holtz, uh, Ron White. I mean, they're great to listen to. John Tapper. Uh, there's a Taffer. I always Taffer. forget. What's, uh, Taffer. Yeah, the, the, Taffer, the, uh, the restaurant guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not Taffer. That's, uh, that's a news guy. But um, So we've had a lot of good and, – and they're good. But I mean, really, you know, it, there, there's only it, it kind of gets you it's like a motivational type speech and mm-hmm. might get you a little fired up. But, uh, you know, I'm more interested in how uh, people can get up there and explain to me how I can do my business better. Uh, you know, that's one of the amazing things sitting on this board, you know, and I've been self-employed since I was 22 years old. And when I got into this business, I thought, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me how to run a business. I know how to run a business, but being in that room with other guys that are, you know, the, the, the Kurt Diebels and the Abe DeBabnas and Borshowitz and Cass and all those big and Garofalo. I mean, what, what a wealth. Now, I'd rather talk to those guys. Yeah. Every time I'm with them, I learn something new. So um, Indeed. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, you know, talking to guys like that. Indeed. No, absolutely. Um, I, I always, like I told you, I, I have a, I, I attend a, a trade show for the green industry every year for my day job. And um, those are, that's fun too, but they, the, the lunches are just sitting next to people or talking to people in the aisles. Like you learn more mm-hmm. in casual conversation uh, than you could ever learn from, you know, you know, you know, a pep talk or something like that in some cases, not that those aren't, not that those don't have whole value, yeah, but they do. But, yeah. but, uh, um, I love, I love, I, I had the opportunity and the privilege of speaking with Tim Osgener and that was, that was, that was enlightening. Cause I knew a lot about that family history, but the one thing I didn't know was how, uh, his, you know, mother and father, one was Turkish and one was Armenian. And if anyone knows anything about history, those, those two cultures don't clash. Well, they clash. They don't, they, they don't mesh. They don't yeah. mesh. And, right. uh, and if uh, an Armenian and a Turk can get together and have a beautiful family and ultimately a beautiful business over the years that, you know, we together as an industry can come together. And I thought that was, that was very poignant um, and very apropos for the moment. So um, 
I think uh, I uh, I think Tim would have a would be a wonderful a wonderful person to speak uh, next year's show. So again, casting my non-existent vote your way. Uh, that's what I would <laughs> love to see. But uh, welcome to all uh, constructive uh, criticism and ideas. That, I mean, that's how we get better. So, um, Greg, can't thank you enough for tonight. I've got two last questions for you as we close out tonight. And again, I can't thank you enough for the amount of time that you've given me. Uh, I know it's late uh, over there on the East Coast, and uh, and I know you have to work tomorrow. And um, so I do really great appreciate it. But uh, this next segment is always uh, brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light one up and choose your refuge now greg as i mentioned before the show this this segment is 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 about your a moment with just a cigar you know we've talked we've talked a lot tonight about the community about the trade show and people coming together and that's certainly a massive portion if not the majority of of the way that we all enjoy cigars but every so often we get to enjoy a cigar that in a moment by ourselves in solitude and sometimes it's about the cigar. Sometimes it's about a moment in our personal lives. But, and I'm sure you've had dozens over the years. But what's a what's a moment that comes to mind where it was just you, just the cigar? What were you smoking, if you can remember? And what was that moment about? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I, I do. I, I'm fortunate that I do. Uh, I try and end most of my evenings right where you see I'm, um, I'm sitting right now. Uh, it's really the one time of day that I can get to sit down and just really put all my focus into to, to enjoying a cigar. Uh, during the workday, it's difficult. I usually don't, uh, maybe late afternoon, I might get an opportunity to light a cigar. Uh, usually it's, uh, you know, all hands on deck all morning and conference calls every day and uh, you, you just don't get time to focus. So for me, I try and that evening after dinner, uh, if the weather permits, I kind of come out here and uh, sometimes my wife comes out, she uh, will enjoy a cigar with me once in a while. So I think I really enjoy that moment uh, probably more more than anyone. It's just her and I sitting out here uh, or, or uh, having a friend or two over. You really kind of get to sit down and enjoy the product and, and it's not just muscle memory, you know lighting mm -hmm. up a cigar, putting it down, light relighting. And, um, but, uh, yeah, there's probably, I, I can't think there's so many instances where, uh, you know, I've had cigars with certain people, um, you know, probably, um, looking back, you know, that first time I really, uh, smoked a, a premium cigar, I think was, uh, I mean, just completely eye-opening for me. I can still remember that day. It was a uh, Macanudo Prince Philip. Uh, it was 1985. Uh, my brothers and I were going to get together and cousins and we we're going to have a little card game. And uh, uh, I went to local tobacconist. And at the time I was smoking, uh, would occasionally smoke a Parodi or Denobly, uh, which if any of you guys don't know, that's kind of a dry cured Italian style cigar. My grandfather, that's what he used to smoke. So uh, it's a very rustic, very strong, heavy-bodied cigar. So uh, I went to, um, I had a guy come back from New York City, and he said, hey, Greg, you got to try one of these uh, cigars called a Macundo. And I was like, Macundo? <laughs> said, All right, so I go to my uh, tobacconist, and this is, like I said, 1985. He was probably 
there's only two shops at that time in, in the Harrisburg area. And uh, I said to him, uh, do, you, do you carry Macundo? And he goes, no, but we have Macanudo. And I said, well, that, that, that must be it. Of course, that's, I think at, at the time was like uh, a $3 cigar, $3.25, somewhere in there. Yeah, about and right. uh, I mean, that was big money. You know, back then, I mean, I was only a couple years out of college and, uh, you know, trying to make my way in, in the business world. And uh, three bucks was a pretty big grind. So after I smoked, I, I said I instantly fell in love with the premium cigars. And I went back to him. I said, I really like this. But can you show me something similar that I could smoke maybe on a more regular basis? And he said, well, we have these Dominican bundles, I have a Connecticut shade wrapper. There are 20 in a bundle. There were $13 for the bundle. And uh, I <laughs> those, said, I'll, those were the I'll, days. <laughs> I'll try that. So uh, uh, I started uh, started smoking those. And uh, then I just kind of graduated up as, as cigars became introduced to the market. You know, I can remember in the late 80s, the, the Ashton brand, early 90s. Uh, you know, I, that was kind of one that I gravitated to. But uh, um, yeah, it's been a journey. Smoking a $3 Macanudo, and now you're uh, among many esteemed brands that you have in your humidor. You're also a white label account. And yeah, yeah, smoking and selling $30 Davidoffs. It's it's quite the journey. It's crazy. (laughs) Quite the journey. I can remember uh, way back then, I can remember I tried an Avo at one point, and I remember it was. uh, I think it was somewhere in the seven dollar range and that was when you know the the average cigar price was probably in that three to four range and right. um i can remember thinking my god who seven dollars for a cigar mm-hmm. that'd be nuts in fact i my grandfather that kind of you know uh, gave me the affinity for cigars i i bought him a uh, a box of ashton's one time that at this point he wasn't smoking he wasn't lighting them anymore he would just put one in his mouth and kind of chew on it all day long so i bought him a box of ashton age maduros and um, he said to me he goes uh this was a christmas gift he goes how much were these cigars and i said it doesn't matter and he goes no tell me how much they were and i told him well they're about five dollars a piece and he he said what are you some kind of aristocrat you know <laughs> you know he thought that was ludicrous that anybody would pay five dollars for a cigar so but um unbelievable i remember my first cigar was actually bought by my younger brother on my 18th birthday yes he's younger it was my 18th birthday (laughs) so uh he didn't necessarily acquire it through through legal means unfortunately but uh was a fonseca that he i think he paid 450 for and uh my first uh I, I call it my first foray into premium cigars. I had had a couple more, but I was still 18 years old. I was a freshman in college and uh, I was at, I, I stumbled into a La Flor Dominicana event um, where the rep handed me a cigar that I paid seven fifty for. And it was the best experience. I, it, the best experience it was unbelievable. And that's, well, that's why I'm still a La Flor Dominicana, uh, Lord of La Flor Dominicana fan today. Uh, they make some great cigars. Make some great ones. I love it. Uh, I was really, uh, did you, have you had a chance to smoke the Soli, the re- latest from them that they released at the trade show? Or is that in your uh, your bag of to That is in my bag to, to try. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. 
looked it was beautifully constructed oh yeah but i wanted to, to make sure i got that home and gave, gave it a little time to sit and give it a good shot we ordered it so it's coming awesome your customers can look forward to that so that was our segment brought to you by asylum cigars refuge it's more than just a physical place it's a state of mind some of life's greatest reflections can be found in your own personal asylum moments like these were made for asylum cigars so light up an asylum and choose your refuge Greg, it's our last question of the night, and it's always our curveball segment brought to you by Dunbar Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Sokka. So, Greg, we had talked a lot tonight. Politics has come up on more than a couple of occasions. You said very early on that you were really involved in politics there in Pennsylvania and uh, continue to be, I imagine. Um, there is one board member that is actually currently involved in politics, Mr. Todd Johnson, who's doing mm-hmm. a fantastic job in his home state of North Carolina. Um, so excluding Todd, here's the question. Other than Todd, who on the board would you personally love to see get involved and run in politics, whether it be at the state or federal level? Who would you love to see get involved oh, in politics on the current on the current board on the current board? Yes, sir. And I know you're probably thinking of Jeff Forsowitz because he's always my go to pick when this question comes up. So <laughs> he, he, he would have been excellent. Yeah. But uh, a new board member that I just really got to, to kind of know this past trade show uh, is Anthony Goins. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a retailer. Um, I don't know much about him, but I think he works uh in his home state he works for the governor and uh, i think he's very polished and i think he would uh he would make a a a great politician he he looks the part uh he's got that look that swagger and uh uh, very knowledgeable on on everything like i said uh, he he, this was literally his first meeting was uh this year Mm -hmm. uh at the at the trade show so um um, I'm looking forward to working with him, and I think he would make a uh, he would make a great politician. That's awesome. I uh, I've um, I think Todd's doing a great job. I for you know uh, my good friend Will Cooper's in his home state of North Carolina, so he sees the great work. Or Jay Davis, he would and be another. Guy. I, I I really think Jay would be fantastic too. I um, the state of Texas needs uh, some some good politicians and and uh, people in office, and I think I think Jay can make some waves. I think his, his story, particularly his struggles through COVID uh, when, you know, some of those uh, uh, restrictions were handed down in his, his personal struggles and journey to, to keep his business alive and afloat are just some of the, some of the ones that just, I mean, just tear, tear at the heartstrings and everything um, that I think he would be, be incredible. Um, um, I've talked politics uh, for a number of times with Todd Nafee and I, you know, Oklahoma is one of those interesting states. I think, I think Todd could do a really good job in politics. He, he would too. be yes, he would be awesome too. Yeah, he knows everybody. He's like a politician already. I think he's right. uh, the de facto uh, uh, mayor of Oklahoma City. That would be really cool. So, um, well, that was our curveball segment, and that was our two hundred and nineteenth take uh greg thank you so much for joining us tonight i really do appreciate it it was my pleasure so for everyone out there thanks to our audience for staying up late with us as always you can catch us later on youtube on the ll spumar channel 
As always, we broadcast live every week from our Facebook live page, uh, Los Fumar. You can check out a calendar of upcoming events and scheduled guests on that uh, page. Uh, looking forward to uh, next week as well as we've got another great guest coming your way. Uh, Erica Tormson of Cigar Dojo will be in to weigh in um, basically a month after the trade show. So we'll kind of take a look at that and see what's on the docket for everything Cigar Dojo. Eric does a fantastic job with his media brand and uh, for this industry. So you definitely want to check out Take 220, which will be coming to you next week on the 14th. You can always listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on op- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure you download, subscribe, and review. If you already are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit the word unsubscribe, but don't forget to resubscribe because that really helps my numbers so that I can continue to get great guests Uh, like the president of the board of directors, Mr. Greg Zimmerman tonight. So thank you to all who tuned in for us. Again, this was our 219th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azle, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Plissy. As always, he's Greg Zimmerman. We'll see you next time. See everybody.